0: This is the Bull Mountain Brothers podcast.
1: Does it classify you as an adult to own an umbrella? What's the other one you use? Grubhub or something?
2: Grubhub?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're not getting it for you. And
2: so now he's the yawn guy? <laughs> this is the BMB Network, and you're listening to the 59th podcast of the Bull Mountain Brothers. It's good to have everybody here. How are we doing? It is fantastic. When is the last time? Matt's been gone for a while. I think Nick's yeah. interview was the last time. Does that sound right?
1: Because we were we were Nick been like three weeks. Victoria, Josh, and then and then Matt. So
2: yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So your last your last two podcasts have both been Zoom interviews. Yeah. Yep. He he got sent down to the G League and came back up. He's
1: playing better now.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. We just got done with another awesome. I'm mean, even putting out the Zoom interviews like like it's going out of style. Now that we got them figured out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a little bit of a... What do you got there, Shani? Oh, we're just going to move... We'll talk about that way. in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, you, you moved can't it out it. of You moved it out of camera. Yeah, so but let's it'll see be an
1: R camera. You guys just chill.
2: Um, well, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear about your guys' shed hunting trip. That's what I want to hear. All Ooh, right. All right. right. All right. Let's. Uh. Let's how break. do we break this down,
1: in a sense? That's not even an R camera, is it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> just put it between the two computers. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And the shed will
1: block it. That's yeah. Great.
2: Still, still don't talk about it
3: though. I want, I want to talk about it afterwards. Okay. So, how do we break down this trip? All right, let's start with Friday night. Friday night. Super, super high hopes. We're like, all right, yeah, we're gonna <laughs> find some sheds. We've never, never gone to Narnia before in this time of year. We've know. never really truly shed hunted Narnia. We've never hiked, really, 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 really hiked
1: the area we were the, in.
3: Well, yeah, the area that we were in. Yeah. And so we went for a little, uh, we're like, well, let's go see if the the elk still have their, you know, still have their horns. I have a little ride that I go on. Um, we just take the ranger and kind of go sightseeing. Didn't see a single elk. Had a freak storm on the drive out to Broadview. Two, yeah. And, uh, like it lasted 45 minutes, but it was like 50 mile an hour gusts of wind. I know. And so we did that, and I had this uh, thought in my head of like, yeah, we're gonna get up at seven in the morning. And uh, by the end of the night, it had gotten down to like, yeah, let's just get up when we get up. What?
2: I'm listening to your story.
3: Oh, um.
2: <laughs> and, I'll, just, I'll just I'll just I'll just
3: look at Matt the rest of the podcast then. No, um, what time did we get? About eight thirty, we got moving. I I was laying in bed, and Sean's like, "Hey, you up?" And I'm like,
2: "Barely." You know what's funny is I was actually up. The I was I was at the house that night. Uh, I was gonna go with them because we had some commercial ideas. And uh, I do recall Sean. Uh, at first, he woke me up yelling at you to shut your alarm off uh, at about seven o'clock. And then because uh, we made the we made the decision the night before that uh, we were gonna stay up and try to watch a movie. And uh, Riley made it about 0. 0.4 seconds into the yeah. movie. Was I yeah. snoring? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh nice, nice. It's, but uh,
1: but it was you know the funny thing on that was when I woke up because
2: Ramsey had this. Yeah. Why didn't mean, you guys? First of all, no, you guys didn't even try to come in there and get me to go with you. Is no, that what the hell is that about? No. No. Not even when we were like... We were like, you heard us up. If you
1: wanted to get your ass we up... We had the would.
3: conversation like, we're not going to wake him up because if he had the want to go, he would have gotten up. Yeah, because oh, we could yeah. see you in your room like... I saw you
1: moving around. Moving like around. You were awake. We were awake. I was awake. I was awake for sure. But you know, the funny thing is, is when you say like, I I had to... Because like, Ramsey had the idea the night before, which that would have been Saturday night, that and this was a funny conversation that he's like, we're getting up at six. We're going to be out there at seven. And he said that all night, and Riley and I were kind of just like looking at each other, like, "Yeah, this early." We never said anything, and then right before we all went to bed, Ramsey goes, "Yeah, we're getting up at seven, or we're getting up at six thirty, and uh, we're gonna be be ready to go by 6.45. And Riley goes. What are you trying to do? You think you're going to wake up the sheds? <laughs> I mean, seriously.
2: <laughs> and and I'm you, like, you I trying to get in there like, to get the fucking sheds before they go bad or what? I know. And I'm like, I
1: was like, you know, he's kind of right, Ramsey. I was like, we don't need to get up at 630. I mean, and then he's like, Ramsey did his little muffled out, oh, whatever, and then went to bed. And so I woke up at, it was like 615 because I had to piss real bad. And so I got up, went to the bathroom, and I was like listened upstairs. I was like, he ain't fucking awake. I was like, there he, he's not up yet. So I went and laid back down and then I wake up to like I don't know, 45, 50 minutes later to eh eh, eh, eh for 10 minutes. And well, he can sleep through an alarm. And I I'm like
3: It's my superpower.
1: And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I walk up to the stairs and I yell at him to turn his alarm off. And it's like Darth Vader through his CPAP. What? What? <laughs> Turn your alarm off. Okay, and he turns it off, and he's. I'm like, all right, we're well, at this point, we're getting up, but that was just, it was funny. Yeah, and then you guys left me, but it's fine.
4: Oh Wait, my god,
1: you didn't yeah.
3: get your ass up. But anyway, moving on. Get out there. Um, I want to say it was about 9:30 when we got yeah to the spot. We roads
1: were. We were worried that the roads are going to be just incredibly muddy. Um, They weren't terrible.
3: Everything was frozen.
1: Yeah. In the morning, yes, they were frozen. So we went through um, kind of our normal route. And we had the plan of where we were going to stop and park on a section and uh, basically just start the trek from there. And it's just a massive coulee down into some flats that open back up into a bunch of different sort of elevation. like badlands, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we made the hike. Started moving along, uh, did some rock climbing because we went down in the worst possible spot you could have picked. Oh, yeah. I always wondered about getting We went up that. the same spot, too. We did. And uh, so we made <laughs> it down through and everything. And, you know, I, I, uh, Ramsey called me the crevice guy that day because the only two times. We always I, call you that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> in the literal sense. The, okay, I okay. was the crevice guy. Why is that? Okay. The only two times I've ever found sheds on that property were in, you know, those deep crevices that are like oh, yeah. water built them out, like over the years.
2: Well, and I would say that you, I mean, we've probably found them that way too, because that is
5: it a crevice or crevasse,
1: or a coulee, or a I don't know, Matt from California, what is it?
5: <laughs> a coulee?
1: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> um, because what it's and a hollow. I, I don't want to act like I have all this shed hunting knowledge, but my buddy that taught us how to do it back in the day always claim that you want to look for changes in elevation, right? So that creek bottom, when they're changing that elevation or- um, Fences. You know, uh, rivers. Like when you're getting off a river bank, like you find a lot of sheds on frozen rivers and frozen creeks and stuff like that. Yeah, Um, because
1: that motion of them moving, you know, like fences are big things. Yeah, like, so that, that makes a lot of fences. sense to
2: find them in a, yeah. you know, cut like that. And that
1: was where I found them all. And so there's a lot of those out there. That's oh, stupid. And miles so of them. I'm like, well, let's start because we were coming down a spine essentially. And I was like, well, let's get down the spine. And I goes, there's one on the left, one on the right. Let's pick one, see what happens. I found one the previous year and the one on the right. So I was like, chances are high. We'll hike down through that, and realize that our plan that we had we were veered off by almost a quarter of a mile <laughs> mm. and so we stopped because we saw a essentially it's a a landmark you could say off that property that we are n- well versed with and so we're like oh our shit alright so we turned the other way went around <laughs> Um, actually right then is when um Ramsey we were kind of coming up an incline um, and as he was getting up he was a little ahead of me spotted a, a herd of deer And all you could see was their ass. And so we're like, oh, you know, we're going to see wildlife today. That's pretty cool. And they were walking into a group of trees. Ramsey claimed that he only saw like four. And I was like, when I came up over the hill, I saw, I mean, I thought there was 15 or 20 in there. And essentially we're like, well, let's see if we can't keep going, get on top of this and maybe just look at them and see if there's any bucks in there that still have their sheds on and that'll determine what, how, you know, the outcome of this trip is going to be. How much further we hike. Yeah. And... So we we kind of hauled to get up almost like it was like a stock in season for, you know, to try and get a shot on something. And we moved and we were still a ways away from them. And we popped up over a hill and I was like, there is, I like looked at Ramsey because basically where they walked was up a little hill. And then it was a flat coulee all the way up to the top of essentially if, a rock structure. Yeah,
3: 40 foot rims. It's, he, it was huge. Up. It
1: was probably a mile from where they were to the top. And so we got up there and I went, there is no way in hell. Those deer already made it up to the top of that because they were nowhere to be found. Ghosts, man, and they disappeared. And so we kept moving along, moving along. And then, did was, you did you determine whether they had horns or not? We didn't see any bodies.
2: Oh, okay.
3: And so, and and really, the way it's like, it's a big long rim, and there's a bunch of cuts that you have to walk up over, over, up and over them. Fingers, someone yeah. say fingers,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're just... We're really getting the, the hunting ter- terminology down tonight. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so we're like, well, I guess we'll just... Because we had the plan, and the plan was kind of... I'm
1: really messing up over here. I'm sorry. You're good, you're good.
3: Put it bay by the fact that climbing up said rock walls with wet frost on them was not going to be an option. So we're like, well, we'll just take the easiest way and just walk all over them. Yeah. Because we know there's one easy way where it kind of shallows out a little bit and you can get over the top of it and i mean
1: riley knows there's only a certain way that you can actually trek up most of those fingers um so we kind of moving. we knew that the ones face, like the, you know staring us in the face or anything i mean i was doing this it's like there ain't no way we're getting up that so we basically started backtracking to found where a the,
3: lot of caves as well
1: that's true um started backtracking to where those deers went or deers
3: deers <laughs> And the terminology's out the window.
1: Where the deer went into that timber. And so we started backtracking that way. And I was ahead of Ramsey by, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 yards. And I crested the top of this this somewhat of an elevation change. And I saw a bunch of bodies of deer standing around, essentially a solar well, in a sense. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, there's the deer. But there was only, what, like six?
3: Six or seven. And uh like, huh. We deduced that it was not the same. We think we got backtracked by the original herd because uh, we went left. We think they went right. Yeah. And so we ended up finding another herd of deer, which in this area on this property, seeing deer there is like almost mind-blowing because yeah. it never happens.
1: And we figured out that they're all does and fawns. Um, and I'm going to let you tell the
5: next So no again. horns. No, yeah. we didn't see any
1: horns.
3: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we were walking up. And, I mean, it's it's shed hunting, so we weren't really trying to be, like. Stealthy. Stealthy. We so we're good. walking up the middle of a valley. And at this point, Sean's ahead of me, I don't know, like 10 feet maybe. I pull my sunglasses off to itch my eye, and the wind hits him. Instantly start walking. So I'm, like, blinking, trying to get him cleared out. And I look over at Sean, and he's just doing this, and I'm like what what do you see and he's like elk and i'm like yeah whatever and he's like it's literally right there in front of us and i still can't see i'm like wiping my eyes furiously to try to get the water out of them and I, finally i literally did
1: like because he like pulled his binos up and he's like yeah i am not seeing these elk and i mean they were probably at that point we
3: ranged we, it yeah it was 311 like yards 311
1: yards and he's literally like, i am not seeing these elk and there's a bull standing broadside at 311 yards I had to walk over to Ramsey and literally look over his shoulder and right at his eyeline point and he's like yeah still not seeing it and he pulled his binos up and he looks and that bull finally moved and he goes oh shit yep there they are and uh and we started glassing and turned out there was eight bulls eight bulls and uh most of them you know were were I would say three or four of them were, um, you know, they had tines. They weren't spikes. Small.
2: And then. The term would be raghorn. Uh, yeah. Cool.
1: I
4: mean,
3: they were all kind of raghorns. So,
1: yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, And then two or three spikes. And,
2: and then There was a
3: spike in that group that looked identical to the one you shot with Matt. Oh, like, really? Yeah. I, it was like, it's twin. It was crazy. Same curve and everything but uh so we saw that all was sheds so yes that the the moral of the story they all had horns except horns. for one had the biggest one, it, one the biggest one had one horn gun
2: had one horn gun and well that's what they say they say you know elk are different than deer uh the bigger elk shed first it it, it takes the it's the younger ones that lose later so that makes all this well sense. it makes a sense I, I've been talking to meat. Ramsey's got his uh his buddy in town that you you know him very well um it's kind of his, like, I don't know. What would you call it, like a home buddy? Good friend. He's a bike gang guy. I don't like know. Like the
1: adult version of bike gangs? That's that's Ramsey's Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I really generally think they're right in the middle of shedding right now. I think Elk, you're, in a couple weeks, I think they're going to be done. So I think that's when, I think we'll be good in a couple weeks if we want to go back out somewhere, and I think they'll be ready to. Like,
1: the way Riley explained it was with his vast knowledge in elk vast he basically explained like everybody's seen those videos on like tiktok and instagram of like a dude recording a herd of elk that comes through his you know backyard and it starts you know doing the itch and all of a sudden it drops a shed like that is the um the way riley explained it we would basically be like if we were face to face with an elk right now there's a chance that it moved wrong and dropped a shed that was the stage of shed season that we believe we were in and it, i think it's true It i yeah. would say so i mean because everybody have to, i mean even the landowners out there were like isn't it late because they were saying like oh we saw you know uh i can't remember the quantity count but they're like yeah hey, we saw some elk the other day out on you know some section and they all still had horns and they're like isn't that super late
2: See, I think that's a that's a myth, man. I, I used to people used to tell me that stuff shedded in February and January, and I'm like, that, that's not true to me. My experience Absolutely is not. It seems like uh, it's like a it's like a mid-April to early May kind of.
1: So thing. in your in your multiple years, you know, guiding a ranch, what is the latest you've seen like a a decent size elk drop? Middle
3: of May. I mean, when did when was the turkey hunt last year? Uh, okay. End of
1: April. End of April. Yeah,
3: did we not see? We saw bulls. They're all young saw, they were young bulls. Right. They were rag horns. And I think We also that's, found a shooting. This is just, just me thinking that's scientifically. True. The weight of a three hundred and fifty inch bull's horns is gonna make it come off a lot yeah, sooner. That's exactly it. I mean. Yeah. And I don't know. We didn't <laughs> we don't know in that area what the
1: mule deer are doing either, because we didn't end up we didn't see any obviously mule deer sheds or any Male mule deer to determine whether they still had
2: them or not. So, in right. conclusion, you guys had a great time. You had a good experience, but it was almost you were almost too early. But I've seen people in the same area that are finding sheds, so I think you were just, uh, you know, just where you were at. They weren't like there I said yet.
3: before. I think it's it's almost a
2: regional thing. Right? Yeah, there's so many different things that can boil. So, down. I want to talk about. You guys did a commercial up no, there. No, that was a, that's. What I was don't say. I don't want you guys to talk about it because I want people to see the video, right. but. Essentially, what happened was it was you guys, guys first for you guys us. did a commercial for right on trek, and you guys tried their meals. I do want to hear right now how was the how was the experience?
3: The experience was overall phenomenal. I can tell you from experience. You want to use the word experience?
2: <laughs> you, are you gonna? You're not gonna give away your scoring, are you? No. Well, um, what did wanna... you
1: what What are you talking about?
2: Well, you oh. guys are food reviewers now. Oh, we are right, okay. Right.
3: I just want to tell you from experience, all you people that use a Jetboil, if you make a f- make food with your Jetboil, please give it time to cool down. <laughs> <laughs> because when we did our test, it was maybe two minutes after we had cooked the food and Jeez. my tongue it, is still burnt. Oh,
2: you, you scolded the mouth. It wasn't oh, yeah. just hot. It was oh, like it you burned. It was
3: one of those things is like, as you'll see, if you watch the video. I was almost holding back tears. <laughs> it hurts so... I mean, Sean just kind of looked at each other like, wow. That was but really and the funny part
1: is we were recording
2: a video, so you didn't want to like... Yeah, you didn't want to be...
1: It was kind of like a... You I'm know, tough. That,
2: I'm grown. Yeah, well, I know, break a leg in a also sense. Also, yeah. like, the same face you make when something's disgusting is the same face you make when it's hot as hell. So it could have... You know, I never really thought of it that way. It could be interpreted the wrong way.
3: Yeah. I mean, do you agree? <laughs> Except... Uh, well, yeah. I'm not going to give anything away, but... The the video. Will yeah, save
2: your guys' content for the YouTube guys to see. But
1: and you know, the basically what Riley's is saying is this is um this is involved in the video. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, Not it's, that exact thing, but no, something but very extremely this similar. This
1: is uh, you know, the product you get from right on Trek and it is you'll find out in the video, but like Ramsey said, the experience was phenomenal. Um I enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah. I, I think was, it's it cool. It was
2: fun. I think it's really cool. It's, I think it was a I, lot of I, fun. I, you guys got home and you showed me some of your content, and I was like, "Wow, I'm proud of these guys. You guys did really good." And you, I mean, miles did you put on? Ten and a half. Ten and a half. That's I awesome. I figured
3: between Sean's watch, my phone, and his phone, we.
2: Do you get, think that it helped you in any way doing a shed hunt hike out there for like hunting strategy? I'm gonna tell know, you. Or did you <laughs> not really?
3: I not hunting strategy, but more well, kind of. I would seasons. no. I would totally agree that it was, but because, more like, along did you the, find some new more along the lines of what I need to do to prepare for hunting season? That's
1: good because the essentially the way you looked at it, we've talked about it in the past. We lost a cer- a certain section of our um, elk hunting ground that we we used, and so the area that we were in, we've never. I mean, there's Put been a couple a, a couple bulls killed out on that, you know, in that certain geographical area of that property but i mean as far as you two go you guys haven't done a ton of like true stock hunting on that side of the property no um, well
2: we've really kind of deemed it garbage <laughs> But
1: yeah, Right. And that was like, you know, when I came into this property too, I thought the same thing because Ramsey would be like, well, we're going to go over there, but it's terrible. They never, <laughs> It's a barren wasteland. I know it's, <laughs> you know it's
2: weird, but Ramsey shot 270 inch plus mule deer within a certain geographical location. We never even made it that I, I far. think that that gives you a good point. To, and we'll talk about this on another podcast, but uh, when you talk about like finding hunting ground, looking at it like, and not judging a book by its cover. I mean, have you ever really like had somewhere where you're out and you're like, this looks like shit? And you never see anything there. And then maybe a week later, all of a sudden, this crazy big animal or a bunch of animals are in that area.
5: Uh, well, 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 yeah, for sure. I, I think the biggest thing is, is when me and Ramsey went after a after deer last year and put 12 miles on hiking after it. A bunch of land I looked at through binoculars, I was like, this is junk land. Well, that's where I want to hunt this year. Yeah. It's like. Very similar situation. You know, the same thing. You know, it looked like shitty land once you got in there. I mean, there's springs everywhere. And
2: Hey, you found a, you found a brown shed in the middle yeah, of, uh, middle of uh, what was that, November? Very yeah. very chewed on as well. Yeah, yeah. but it's, you don't find that. It must have been under a tree
3: or something. It was in a group of small trees. Yeah,
1: you know, so. one thing I didn't note too is that in that specific unit in the area we were in, that was the first time I ever seen elk there. No, no kidding. Seriously.
3: That was the very first time. And and I don't think it was a coincidence. <laughs> For the amount of sign and tracks. Well, and not only that, but that within half a mile of that area, there was a bull shot, and we saw bulls. Like, well, I, and I, I,
2: I don't I, think it's a coincidence. I had this conversation with Ramsey, too, and I think this is similar to like what you guys dealt with over the time of where you're at. I think the elk are moving into the area. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that they're starting to put... I think that's why you're seeing less deer too. I think they're pushing the deer out and you're going to have more elk because elk, historically speaking, are starting to move into the lower lands right now. It's what it seems like to me. That's just an observation I
1: made. So Matt, a question I have for you. You, I mean, I keep going back to this, but obviously you've um, hunted, guided, same property for a long time. Have you seen in... If you were to split those years up, is the one property day one that you hunted there or the one section, the one area of that property, any different from the one that you would go hunt tomorrow if it was archery season? Like, is the area changed? Like, are the elk moving from area to area throughout the amount of time that you've
5: been there? Or has it always been one set area? Well, I I honestly can't answer that 100% because everything I've hunted has been in the same area just cause I have not explored the other areas on foot the way me and Ramsey did. I mean, when we walked through there chasing that deer Ramsey, I mean the elk sign in there was ungodly, Yeah, you know, well, but, it, think but it's the, also uh, one of them deals where you're going to hike three miles, four miles into it. And you get to hike four miles back out with you. You're, your, you're going to pack it out. Yeah.
2: yeah. 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 But think about this too. I mean, even like the cave that we found last year, I mean that like you, it, there's and we you know. drove
5: by that. I've been driving by that that's that location for fifteen years, Riley. Really. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think that, and Matt and I have had this conversation many times. When you go in, and I don't want to really get dive into elk archery right now, but we change you you change and we change our strategy every year.
5: There, we don't hunt. sometimes daily. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: I mean, yeah, they're moving. They're moving. But I've been I've been a a
1: you know a um a peer essentially to the conversations that you guys have had when I've been with you guys on that property about it, It's, it's always funny because a lot of the time, like your guys' conversations are almost like when you guys are talking about cause um you know, the guide aspect of it, when you guys are talking about like changing up strategy, things like that. It's funny because I don't know if you felt this too, but those two like go into like their own world together mm-hmm. when they're talking, and then you know Matt will come in. Well, shit! Why don't we just do, you know why don't we go over there? And there's obviously a bunch of elk, you know, elk sign over there, and Riley's like you know that's a good idea, and then Riley go with the same thing. Well, shit! You know over you know it's it's. Yeah. Funny. Well, I also
2: think that's something we share, and I'll, we're lucky to have that kind of relationship too. Yeah. it. Right? Like where we kind of just know, like we can think of the same. I don't know explain it. Like we just. Well, it's no, just well different
5: than you guys where you're at. I mean, you two, I mean, listen to you guys' stories. I mean, you damn near can raid Ramsey's mind when you're out there hunting. I mean, you guys, you guys can look at each other and know where you're going without having to talk.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the same for us. So we just Well, like, and it's, it's funny you say that because it was multiple times. What? Oh, oh, Sean. No. me. <laughs> I was looking at the camera. Sorry. God damn it. Anyway, oh no. What? Okay, now I got it. <laughs> oh jeez. Um there was multiple times like it would just get silent when we were when we were out walking and it's happened before. I mean, we talked about it when we went uh elk hunting with Chad, but We'd almost know what the other person wanted to do before we said it, but we would just say it to make sure. I mean, Sean would like look at an area and then look back at me and I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> and we would just do it.
2: Well, it's also kind of fun too. Like I actually like like just randomly. Do you like, want me to do that? No, I don't want <laughs> <at that. laughs> Sometimes like I Matt and I would just call each other and just talk about, it. just randomly just talk about it. Like, Hey, I had this idea. What do you think? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's fun. It's like, I don't know. It's always worth trying an idea.
5: Well, but it's the same thing like when we're calling. I mean, we'll call a spot or be in one spot and all of a sudden I'll start standing up and Riley's already heading to the ranger because he already, it's almost like in sync to where we're like, this ain't going to work. We need to go somewhere else. And one of us is already moving before the other one. We're like, oh shit, you know?
2: I would, yeah. And that's probably be from experience and experience together probably. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's cool. You know, in the again, th- I don't want to. I don't want to dive into this because right, we're, we're going right. to be a two and a half hour podcast the here pretty soon. <laughs> good thing that we got going on here is
1: with the uh, guest that we are about to introduce that we have on tonight. We had a lot of similar conversations as we just did, absolutely. And yeah. um, you know, he shares a lot of the same um, values use, yeah. and styles,
2: and uh, and I guess my state. I, I like to that that quote that I like to say a lot um, I think really hit home today where there's a lot of people out there that are just living similar lives in different worlds.
1: And what did Ramsey say earlier? That you it's funny to see that the, you know, the, uh, people have the same from country to the other to country. And it, Oh yeah. Really
2: that's <laughs> all right. We, are, um, just note that just note down. That so yeah, problem. we're just going to, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys got to get out and do something on the outdoors. I was, uh, I don't know what I did. Oh, I I went and did some work this weekend and some other stuff. But um, yeah, it's cool. And then you guys got to try some right on track. Uh, we'll do some more. I'm thinking Ramsey and I are doing our annual big fishing trip this weekend, so I think we might take one with us and do one on the on the riverside and do a little do another little taste test. And then uh, I think again, I think we're doing a, maybe a possible Bull Mountain Brothers trip at the end of the month, maybe if it works out. Yep. Um, and we'll do another one there, and then we'll just keep reviewing. Good. We'll keep reviewing these stuff and, you know, we might try competitors at the same time. And you know, and one, and one little
1: thing that I, um that we left out of that, that trip that I think is worth um putting
3: in here is... Uh, we did not find our lost arrows.
1: <laughs> no, we didn't find those. We didn't find any sheds. Also, Ramsey helped a calf learn how to
3: walk. I did.
1: That was really cool to watch. That was, I mean, we you, you go shed hunting, you don't expect something like that, but that was a lot of fun. It
2: was wild. Yeah. Yeah. So you told me a story basically they're calving out there and they had a hundred pound calf or something. They dropped a hundred pound calf. And you said that when they're that big they take that long to get out. Their legs are asleep. Their legs are asleep.
3: They're they're so hard pressed against the inside of the womb that it makes all their limbs. And so they
2: you know, they're they're uh Ramsey's a burly dude, so I'm guessing that's why they asked him. Uh (laughs) basically for you to pick it up and walk it around.
3: No, it's actually because I, I I extremely Ramsey underestimated. Ramsey
1: said to um one of the landowners, "Like
3: that's going to be about a fifty pound calf." Yeah, and, and like, their
1: yeah. average calf size, I think they were saying, was like eighty, 80 or something. Yeah. And so, and she laughed in his face
3: essentially, and like, yeah, no, that's a hundred pound calf.
1: And so and she's like, "No, seriously, go in there, pick it up." And so Ramsey went in there, and he picked it up, and it actually the problem was his front legs were working. And they were fine, but he just he couldn't use his back legs because they were asleep, and there was some inflammation and things like that. And Ramsey picks him up, and he tried like he he did the whole like step thing and everything. And you know it was like it was like Karen, essentially like Karen, one of your drunk friends. (laughs) It was pretty funny. And uh, was it heavy? Yeah, it was heavy. a hundred pound calf, <laughs> but it was cool to watch. And we just let him, you know. After Ramsey got him up, because they've been sitting there the entire day with this one calf
3: trying to get him. Said it, it had been born at five thirty the, the day night before. The night before, so about twelve hours almost. No, like eight hours. Twenty four. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. And and so.
2: And yeah, I wonder they, at what point they're like close to potentially like losing. Well, there's like uh, we, we, hey, we like actually
1: that. learned a lot of information there. There's a certain period that the, you know, the mom has to, if you don't get it back to the mom in a certain time, the mom won't take it again, things like that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it, it was funny though, because they've been sitting there this entire time waiting for this calf to essentially stand up on its own. And Ramsey goes over there and picks it up and it tries it. For the first time, the entire day, and then it starts. Ramsey's holding it up, and it starts taking its own weight. And Ramsey, it's like it's like training wheels with your with yeah, your, with a kid. Was. Did they cheer you
2: on after you got it to, to walk? They did,
1: and you know the thing was walking around. It was stumbling. It, we opened the you know the pen door, and it was walking out, stumbling around. It started walking towards the door because it knew it wanted to go back to its mom, and she knew where the mom was, and it tried to make it out there. You know, it'd fall down. Ramsey, go over there, pick it up, and then we'd turn it back around, basically like doing physical therapy with this cap. It was really cool to see. That was a first for me. <laughs>
2: that was a first for me. Yeah, That's that was cool. awesome. That is a cool little side adventure. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, awesome. So uh, we're going to end that story there because we've got basically, we've got to get to this interview. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a great interview where I'm just going to, well, I'll tell you in a second here when I, when I open up, but one last thing for our listeners, the turkey hunt. So we had this happen over the weekend. Uh, The dates for the turkey hunt, the winner decided that he was going to, um, he wasn't going to be able to make the hunt. So we gave him the options. You know, there were several different options. One was possibly doing it next year. Um, One was he could give it to a family member or friend. And then, you know, the other option is, uh, you know, just donate it back to us and we'll just do a redraw for the people that put in for the turkey hunt. And he was a real big proponent on, uh, you know, getting it done now, you know, and, and having someone enjoy the hunt that was available. So, uh, thank you. Ann and Derek Eaton, they donated the hunt back. And tonight, uh, when we get done with this video, we're going to redraw on that. I'm actually probably going to make another video talking about this uh, outside of the podcast, but for our podcast listeners, uh, if you bought a turkey hunt in about 10 minutes, you might get drawn for it. So, um, again, thanks Derek and Ann and, uh, we're just happy that we could figure out some sort of uh, situation that, um, you know, it's kind of a bummer. We were happy that we were excited to get someone, uh, get Derek out there and get him hunting. But um, stuff happens. We understand life's kind of crazy right now. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. And that's what's going on with that. Um, but other than that, I think we're we're, we're still in the limbo mode of uh, things that are going on within the company that are about to be dropped. April is going to be a crazy month. Stay tuned. Keep checking out these awesome interviews. We keep getting the coolest people on here. They've been fun uh good to have you back, Matt. You bet. It was fun. Uh, as always. Just kidding. Check out this interview. (laughs) Today we are here with founder and host of the Outdoor Drive podcast, Trevor Bruick. How's it going, brother? Good. How are you? We're doing great. This is actually uh kind of a cool podcast to start out. Um as like, I don't know, we can just kind of break the ice here that this is our first ever conversation with another podcast, first ever interview with another podcast host. So that's kind of cool.
0: They're always fun. I like actually doing them because it's a different dynamic of from podcast to podcast.
2: Yeah. And uh, the reason I would say, let's talk a little bit about how I even... Cause I I run the social medias. Ramsey runs a little bit of them, and I remember about February of last year, we were starting to really get into the TikTok stuff, and I mean we were a be a very blossoming young company, and Definitely. um, at that time we probably had like three hundred followers or something on TikTok, and I remember we made we had some video that went out. And the first time I ever noticed that someone with some sort of... Following. Following. Clout, someone say, followed us, and it was the Outdoor Drive podcast. So ever since, I've always looked at um, the Outdoor Drive podcast as like, you know, oh, they're kind of doing... I mean, they've been doing it longer, but they've been doing something that we're trying to get to, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of cool to get you on here because you were kind of the first podcast I ever really saw through social media that, that kind of, I don't know, became the friend on TikTok or whatever.
0: Absolutely, man. And one of the things that I kind of, I, I like to do personally, and I've always tried to do as a podcaster is kind of build the relationships with other podcasts, right? Because there's seven days in a week and we only do an hour, hour and a half episode. So you can always go and listen to other podcasters. Like there's no need to have competition and work against each other. Why not work with each other and help one another throughout all of these adventures that we try to do because it's never easy.
1: You know, that's pretty cool though that like Riley said about having the first like, you know, podcaster being on as an interview or even just being a guest on this show (laughs) because typically when we get people on, we kind of have to explain them like – you know, how it works and we, what we structure each episode like. But obviously with uh, with you, it was just super easy. He's like, yeah, Dad, do this all the time. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> it's fun. Actually, I just got off of a podcast and I'm driving from my studio back to my house. Um, so I was actually just podcasting and you just kind of make it work, right? And I was like, oh, cool. I get to be on another podcast after being podcast." Mm-hmm. If I could, I would podcast seven days a week twenty four hours a day. I absolutely love podcasting. It's fun to meet and talk to uh, other other people in in the industry well why don't we
2: why don't we kind of transition from this conversation save a little bit of this more for later and why don't you kind of tell us first of all uh Trevor yourself like let's get your hunting background. Let's get Like, did you grow up? Cause I know we've had people on our podcast. I've obviously watched many hunting podcasts. Everyone's hunting story seems to start different. You know, it could start as your, your dad brought you into it or your uncle or down the road, your college friends got you into it. Let's, let's hear about your story, man.
0: So my story actually starts really young. Uh, I was, about two years old and I started fishing. I came up in a hunting family, hunting and fishing family. Um, it was really what our life was all about um, every single day, right? So my dad was a tournament bass fisherman. I would go and I'd sleep on the boat as a kid and go bass fishing. The day that my dad, my brother was actually born, I was actually fishing with my grandfather and my uncle. Um, and ever since then, I just kind of ran with it, um, you know, every single you know, opening day, I hunted with family, the camaraderie, the deer camp, that was all through my life. So I don't know anything other than the outdoors. Um, And that's all I ever did growing up, having bird dogs and bird hunting and doing deer drives and just doing that constantly. Um, And there's, you know, living on the East Coast and in New England, there's always something going on. I'm not far from the ocean. So we're always ocean fishing or ice fishing or deer hunting, or turkey hunting, or upland hunting. I mean, there's always something to do here in New England, and that's one of the great things about New England. Um, And having that family and doing that all the time was just awesome. It was a great lifestyle, and I just took it to that next level um, to kind of be where I am today.
2: Are you doing doing this full-time right now?
0: so i'll take you into the story man um so obviously throughout my entire high school career i hunted all the time teachers would tell me you can't make a living hunting and fishing it's not going to happen you're going to have to find a real job well so at 15 years old i started in a bait and tackle shop and then i moved myself up to a manager of that of the bait and tackle shop um and had done it forever uh worked on fishing boats Uh, and just done that forever. And then I stopped and I was like, all right, they're right. Maybe I do need to get a real job. So I went and I had a couple of stupid, dumb jobs that I absolutely hated. And then my dad had opened up a construction company and I went and I worked for him for a bit. And there was one turkey season about five years ago. uh, My dad told me I wasn't going to be home for turkey season. And I'll tell you that about 45 minutes later I was getting a taxi and I was riding to the train station and I was going home. So I I quit my job and I went back home and I was like okay now what do I do? So I opened up a taxidermy business doing European mounts and I got beetles and I did that all the way through there but then I went back and worked on boats. So I went and I worked on boats and full-time so i fish full-time and i have a taxidermy business so that is my full-time gig uh recently just graduated from the u.s coast guard captain school so i will be running my own charter boat this coming up season so to answer that question it is what i do full-time and just just kind of in that grind of life of trying to make it in the outdoor realm
2: well i think that anybody that's in this atmosphere us four included. Uh, that's the dream. The ultimate dream is uh, to be in the industry, as they would say, the industry, quote unquote. And uh, I think it's awesome that you figured out a way to make that that dream become a reality. Whereas, I mean, obviously, we're you know the four of us are trying to do that. Matt, Matt lives at a little bit because his he's been uh, he grew up. His dad is an outfitter. He's been a guide for thirty years. So, but that's not his main. You know, he's got another. Business too, but he gets a, you get a little bit of that life, a little bit.
5: Oh yeah, probably four months out of the year, hard.
1: Yeah, you know that's that is the first time I've actually. <clears throat> when people say they have like a passion for the outdoors and things like that, um, basically what I took from what Trevor just said is he essentially made his future to revolve around the outdoors, and that shows like a true, true passion um, that you know, some people either think they have or want to have. So that's pretty cool.
0: And I'll say this is honestly, it's, you know, how many people in the industry do you see that have a broadhead company or a TV show or whatever still have full-time jobs? 95% of them still have full-time jobs while they're trying to operate their, their job in the outdoor industry, quote unquote. Right. And the thing is that it's tough. It's a grind. It's not easy. You give up a lot, but you don't care because the passion is there. I would rather watch the sunrise and be in the Turkey woods or the deer woods than I would at a nine to five job. Um, You know, the pay is not the greatest, but you know what? You get to enjoy it every day. You get to meet like-minded people like you guys um, and people who want to be there and do it. Like myself, like fishing. It's, it's incredible. Some of the people that I've met have become some of my bestest of friends. The stories that I've heard and, and able to tell this day are from some of the most amazing people in the world. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Honestly, I would not trade anything to, to, to change my life, to go back to that.
2: Well, I think that your passion shows, um, it, sh- it shines, you know what I mean? And I, th- I, let's say, let's say this, uh, Let's fast forward. You We've now established the fact that you are an outdoorsman that pushes this for your lifestyle. How did that bring you to the Outdoor Drive podcast? How many years have you been doing this? And why did you start a podcast?
0: So right around, I was probably 17 years old. I started an um, uh, online forum called ctbowhunting.com. Because I'm from Connecticut, so a small forum. And back then, forums were were the way of life, right? Where you got to meet people, talk to people, tips, tricks, tactics, uh, technical stuff on bows, so on and so forth. So I started this this cool environment and and group of people that got to talk a ton. And then social media kind of took over—Facebook, Instagram, so on and so forth—and forums went to the wayside. So at that point, I had met. Um, a friend or someone I became a friend of, of mine and he was like, dude, you really need to start a podcast. Like you're quite the character. And I was like, what is a podcast? Right. So then I thought about it and I researched it. And I got to know who he was and so on and so forth. So he actually hosted a podcast with me um called East Coast Bow Hunting East Coast Bow Hunting Podcast. And we did that for probably three years. And it was awesome. It was great. Got to meet a ton of people in the industry and got to travel around and do a ton of really cool stuff with it. And then things went kind of south. He was not the person that I had thought he was, so on and so forth. And it was kind of pigeonholing me to just bow hunting. So then 2020, we'll fast forward to 2020, and I was like, all right, I'm starting my own podcast. We're going to start the outdoor drive. And what The Outdoor Drive is, is a full-on, full-outdoor podcast about hunting, fishing, guns, bow hunting. I mean, anything and everything. Camping, hiking. Um, it's just a full-on outdoor podcast. And then ever since then, man, I mean, we're, we're pushing on 200 episodes. And it's just it's just a dream come true. It's just a cool podcast. I have a co-host with me. Uh, we call him Madman Uh, He's an absolute savage and an absolute phenomenal deer hunter and it's just a great dynamic because i'm an i'm a goofball i can't even speak properly half the time and he kind of reels me in and we have a lot of fun together um and then we've come to to now have a production side uh i have three other guys uh justin seth and lou and those guys just build hunting content for me and the youtube side and video and uh, we're hoping to grow it to something a little bit bigger.
2: So I'm sure that at this point that you've met quite a few people from all across the United States. And something with us is every time we have something new, every time we have someone new on here, um, it's always interesting to see how like-minded and how similar you are. in different, It's like you're living similar lives in different worlds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they are they're mm-hmm. entire country across the, the way and... That was a that, sorry, was,
3: that was a struggle was yeah, really should, but uh, <laughs> and th- you should speak more Ramsey. They're yeah. <laughs> they're so close to like what we think as well.
2: Oh, 100%. Know? That's that's I mean, I've never um <laughs> I guess uh, uh when we started this, we never even researched other outdoor podcasts. I mean, of course we've heard like you can't not be interested in the outdoors and not hear of uh Solo Hunter, Meat Eater, um, hush guys, all that stuff, and so you have an idea of how people are doing things. But it's kind of funny, like the, a lot of what your mission point that you're talking about is like right along the lines of where we're at, and we're in a completely different world. We're over here, you know, That's elk, what I was trying elk, to say. antelope, mule deer. Um, you know, of course we do, you know, the similar a lot of the similar stuff. But you know, we love talking to you guys from back east. You know, the whitetail turkey hunters, ocean fishers, bass fishers. It's such a different world than what we're in. But we're all doing, like, we we have a very similar mission, man. Um, that's our thing, too, is, like, we don't want to cap ourselves by just talking about hunting and fishing. You know, last week we spent an hour and a half talking about 90s to nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. childhood <laughs> nostalgia stuff. You know, it's just we want to do something different. And I think that it's really cool to hear that there's someone else out there doing kind of a similar gig in a way.
0: And, and you know, that's the cool thing about it. And and one of the things in podcasting, like, of course, so like, we have like personas, like I just said, like, uh, Steve is madman Marduk. I'm East Coast Trev. So like, we like to break it down where guys get to know who we are, and like what we actually do. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't need to be about hunting or fishing. We can go into a rabbit hole and talk about, I mean, anything, man. I, I don't care. I'll you know, anything that those things is what makes us who we are and, and kind of, you know, is the turning wheels in our minds, honestly.
1: You know, what's a really funny part about, um, essentially the beginning of Beaumont brothers. And I'm sure you probably went through the same thing was all the technology that goes into a podcast and all these, you know, blue collar guys trying to figure out how to connect cords to the right holes and things like that. It's just funny how much like you build in, I mean, what is this 59th episode now for us? And it's building from that to the point we're at now where we're like, oh, we could do this. And then like we had in the beginning of this episode, that stuff happens. You're like, I have no idea what to do here. This, It's just funny how um, the progression of a podcast is uh, essentially pulling your hair out the entire <laughs> journey.
2: Well, let me ask you this, Trevor. What, what has been your guys' biggest, like what's been the hardest thing for you guys to overcome as a podcast?
0: So one of the biggest things that we have probably have gone through is exactly what you said, the technology aspect of it, because I'm just a dumb redneck and literally I don't do anything technically like I'm not technically inclined at all. I can't use a computer to save my life. I, it's just it's been one of the biggest struggles and editing, editing film, editing podcasts, editing anything has been absolutely horrible. Um and I've lost podcasts, forgot to hit record multiple times, um <laughs> a ton of that stuff, and then just growing pain. like an hour and a half in, and I'm like, oh shit, bro, I didn't even hit record. We got to restart. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I didn't hit record. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. We're gonna have to start this one over. It just happens, dude. That's part of it.
3: It's hilariously sad because actually we started on one of those type of malfunctions. The very first podcast we ever did, which was in our spare bedroom in our house.
2: So essentially, the we called it the pilot episode.
3: The pilot episode. We recorded, it was like, I don't even remember how, it was over an hour. And we're like, all right, let's listen to it and see what it sounds like. Sounded like absolute hot garbage. It cut out like every three seconds. And at this point it was like 10, 30, o'clock at night. Sean was getting ready to go to Spokane
2: in the morning. He was already on the road. He was about 45 minutes away on the way to Spokane.
3: And we were listening to it and we're like, we got to redo this. Like, we already told people we were going to drop on this date. And so he had to drive all the way back and we had to figure it out. I think we were up till like two in the morning recording a podcast. All you can really do in those situations though is laugh, you know? Oh, yeah cuz it's, it's it's obviously funny now at the time it really sucked but
1: right i mean you're kind of like it's kind of like an evil laugh you know <laughs> cuz you're like i want to just bang my head against the wall but uh let's uh, it's funny yeah it's it was a nightmare
0: that growth and progression though is super important so like like you guys probably notice it where you'll have and you could probably see it in the back end right where a lot of people won't be able to see this but you'll have people that come and listen at episode 50 and they go back and they start listening from episode one and they watch that growth and that progression. And it really kind of solidifies or it makes a full picture for them of who you guys actually are. And they become friends of yours and they talk to you and you meet them at shows and you see them places and they'll say stuff. I have a ton of people or listeners or supporters that literally will come up and they'll say something funny from episode like 15. And you're like, bro, you actually listened to that? Like you made it all the way through that podcast, bro. Oh my God. And I can't even remember half the stuff. Like they'll make jokes or they'll, they'll, they'll write jokes on one of our group pages. And I was like, I really said that I can't even believe I said that. And it was from a hundred episodes ago. And you're like, that's pretty cool. Honestly, I think it's one of the cooler things that happens.
2: Do you ever go back and listen to some of your early stuff from like the very beginning?
0: God, no. I would cry. <laughs> I don't. No, absolutely not. No. So, so in the in the first podcast, East Coast Bow Hunting, we were sponsored by a brewery. And I remember weekly <laughs> we would pick up a case of IPAs. And there's many podcasts that I don't even remember doing. And some of the things that I said were obscene. I probably shouldn't have said them and they've then gone on the internet so I do not listen to any of my past episodes or go back to some of those because they're bad they're brutal.
2: yeah I think that's kind of like the thing that we really just the only thing I would say we hate about this process is like 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 trying to keep yourself professional enough in a way that you don't say something you don't want to say you know and like we're really we're really hard on each other about you know making sure that something like that isn't done but it's it's annoying and it makes it way more stressful than it needs to be because at the end of the day and I I don't know how you guys feel about doing the podcast we want it to be like 90% fun you know I, we won't we wouldn't probably be doing this if we didn't enjoy most of it you know
0: so one of the things that I live by and what you just said I wouldn't say anything on a podcast that I wouldn't say in real life and one of the things I live by is raw real no bullshit Because people attach to you and talk to you that way. And it's the same way that I talk on this podcast as I'll talk on any other podcast. And it's the same way I'll talk in deer camp. And it's the same way I'll talk in Buffalo. Because it's just, you have to be true to who you are. And to try and build something that you're not, then people really, you you lose that trust factor. And it's really important to be real and who you actually are. And I live by that.
2: So, Let's talk about, again, about the industry, right? Do you feel, mm-hmm. like, and I think this is a good conversation because we've had this many a times on here. Do you think that sometimes when you watch a lot of the stuff that's out there, like the most popular stuff, that that it is not as raw and real as something like you and your podcast, our podcast, someone like us is? Like, it just sometimes, that's what, that's what and I, I like what you say there because that's something we talk about all the time is like, we don't want outsourced, um, editors or anything like that because we don't want to lose our voice and we think that like what bull mountain brothers is is real um and like that's what i like to see about the outdoor drive is it's authentic it's you know if i'm gonna say fuck i'm gonna say fuck right and and i i think mm-hmm. that kind of right right it's along the lines of what you're saying and i just i think that there's like a new upbringing of like the outdoor industry where it's a bunch of guys like like us they're like-minded and just want to be real instead of just trying to put forth a product to make to make yourself look good.
0: So I totally agree. And I've done some filming with some TV places and this, that, and the other thing and going back and making B roll and that it's just, it's not true to what we are. Um, One of the, one of the guys that I look up to and you guys might not even know who he is, um, is Kurt Geyer from working class bow hunter. And he was somebody that kind of took me underneath his wing and kind of helped me and pushed me along. And for us, He paved that road of raw, real, no bullshit, where he's not afraid to swear. He's not afraid to call out the people in the industry that are doing something wrong. Um, And it's and I think it's really important because the industry has gone from what it was when we were growing up and watching those things in the industry to what it is today. It's so fake. And there's a lot of people that sugarcoat a lot of things. You have the huntresses. You have all these people that are making all these fake things and all of these new generations that are joining into the industry are trying to follow in those, those things. And it's so bad that that that's what they have to watch. So guys like us being raw and real, I think brings back that and people can actually be who they should be and be accepted. Um, one of the things like Steve, um, who does the podcast with us, Madman, he literally, like, you know, like, you talk about, like, going to ATA or going to some of these shows and these guys are wearing, and no offense to anybody, honestly, if this is the way that you dress or anything, um, but they wear square toe boots, they wear their flannel uh, shirts, they tuck them in, this, that, and the other thing, and Steve has no problem going to a show in a hoodie, a pair of jeans, and a pair of Jordans. Like he just is himself and it's so important um, because I think a lot of people attach to that and they can be themselves and not have to worry or fit the mold.
2: Right. I don't think that, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I would never think that like, let's just say overnight we became some viral sensation, right? It's possible. I mean, it's possible for anybody, right? Um, I could mm-hmm. never see myself changing, right? I don't, you know, cause, but I think that's what, I think what happens is it changes people. I think that, um, they become some sort of like power, like power hungry celebrity status, and it and it takes it away from mm-hmm. the, the the Bull Mountain Brothers podcast, right? And I, and I Outdoor Drive podcast may be the same thing. It will never change me as a person because at the end of the day, what I value is my life in the outdoors. You know the 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 spiritual feelings that I get from bow hunting, you know the the things that it plays with me, the camaraderie with my friends, all of that will never change me as a person, and that's why I I get I, this is a good conversation. I'm glad that we're on here having this conversation because uh, it's true. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are pushing an agenda um, and making something that isn't really what
0: the average
2: outdoorsman is is interested in.
0: I totally agree with you. And a lot of the times money and sponsorships will change people tremendously as to who they are not. And it's kind of scary to see. And I know damn right sure that there is not a dollar in this world sponsor that will stop me from saying or doing what I 100% believe. Um, I would not take that sponsorship and I would not take that money. Because I am who I am, and I will forever be that person. Even if we have this conversation in 20 years, I'm going to forever be that person. And there's plenty of people in the industry that are who they are. Ted Nugent is one of them. That guy is probably one of the biggest, you know, I guess savages, you can say. Tim Wells is another one. Those guys don't care that Tim they Wells. cuss, they swear. You know, like, they don't they don't care. I mean, he, you could have a full-on, we could both walk up to him. In a, in a convention and shake his hands and he's going to swear just like he would in his tv or tell the story about how he did something wrong and that's the way that it should be the, the the bad things that happen on gut shooting an animal or whatever that that needs to be shared because that's reality and a lot of these people are coming into this and going hunting and then, when they do put a bad shot on an animal, they don't know what to do because they've never been taught it. And I think it's very important to be real and show exactly what happens on the day-to day in the outdoors.
1: I totally agree with that. And it seems like the back like what Riley says or said about the the more popular people in the industry, it's almost like they're monetized by somebody within their um company. you know, so they they, you you could meet them in person at a professional event and it's a totally different person if you were friends with him for, you know, 5 years or something or his neighbor for 5 years. And it seems like sometimes you can pick up on that within, you know, watching videos, listening to podcasts, things like that and it just kind of you know removes your interest from somebody like I mean for me at least, I don't know about uh, the majority of the population,
2: but some when somebody's not real, you can definitely tell. Well, let me ask you this Trevor. Um Let's say that someone, uh, I, okay. I'm going to explain to you how I, that I think that I would want to handle this situation. You tell me how you feel about it. If I was to go hunting with, um, let's say that John Doe from the, uh, the buck podcast came on, right? They came to Montana and they went on a hunt with us. I want them to go back to their people and say, these guys were a great time, um, they were educational. They were good. They didn't, they didn't try to tell me what to do, but they, you know, they, we had a good time. We had a good hunt and I enjoyed the experience. I want to go back to Montana. You know, things that I've heard from other, like, again, these large popular um, podcasts is like a lot of these guys are dicks and we don't want to be around them. I don't know how they outdoor, I feel like you'd feel the same way where it's like when someone does anything with me in the outdoors, or even a, like you said, a show or like right now we're doing a podcast. I want someone to go back and say, Hey, those guys from the Bull mountain brothers are a good time. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to use my ego to to be the dicks of the, the, the industry, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, and, and the people that we're talking about is such a minute group of people, right? There's a lot of people that are real like us, like us as, you know, like you guys being out west and us being here on the east, like we get along because we have common interests and we probably have the same beliefs as you know, like we had said earlier on the podcast. But there's that group of people is so small, right? Like, I'll give you one example. So, Chris Brackett. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Is that I mean, the Air maybe. Reflection You're guy? No evil, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And so he was one of my big idols growing up. And I had met him at a show and I literally walked away from his booth and I was like, that guy is the biggest dirtbag I have ever met. If, like, I I honestly could not stand to talk to him. He was a complete douchebag. Um, he actually tried cutting my beard was actually what happened. <laughs> um, and he's just a tool bag, man. And I think that a lot of people, you know, that's a small group group of who those people are is that, those are shit bags. And there's a lot of people I've walked away from, you know, a lot of other people that are beating in the industry and they're great people. They're some of the best people that you could honestly ever talk to.
2: Yeah. and I. So when Ramsey and I, Ramsey's my brother, if you don't know that right now. Uh, this is this podcast was an idea that we we started and Sean came along and and blew it up and then Matt came along and we just turned it into what it is today. When Ramsey and I first sat down and said let's do a podcast, our whole idea was to do a podcast to do interviews like we're doing right now to give voice to those that normally don't have the voice, right? Like your rancher, mm-hmm. uh, hunt, you know, landowner, or whatever that just has these old time stories, and I think that that's been the most fun part for me along this journey is the people that I've noticed that we've met, like, uh, we just had a pretty cool, I would say higher class interview a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Um, and that was fun, but I will never stop enjoying the fact that we get to talk to like a lot of these, uh, small, um, like we've had some fly shop owners, some, uh, fly cloth fly shop, clo- or fly, clo- Oh my God. Fly fishing clothing, uh, apparel seller people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best people I've ever like had the opportunity to have a conversation with is those local, um, people just grinding, trying to do what we're all doing. You know, like, like you're out there doing the, uh, the fishing trips and the taxidermy stuff. Like that's some of the best people on this planet are those, those guys right there.
0: And I love that you guys are like that because that's something that I strive for is to find those people in the nitty gritty that aren't that don't have a name in the industry right because they have some of the best stories some of the biggest deer killers here on the east coast you will never see a picture of them on the internet and you'll never hear their story on a podcast and they have the best stories and they've killed the biggest deer and they don't talk about it because they've never had an avenue to talk about it so we i like the outdoor drive loves to find those those people we have So we have the Outdoor Drive is one podcast. And then we have the Tales from the Tailgate, which Tales from the Tailgate is just hunting stories. Like if one of you guys shoots an elk, we'll have you on and we'll have a 30, 45 minute discussion about just that. When you roll up on that guy and then he tells the story because some of those people have some of the best stories, you know, crazy stories. I've heard some gnarly stories and you're like, dude, what in the hell? How did you have the chance to do that? Or, you know, they shoot a 200 inch deer and it's never been talked about ever. Or a, we had one a couple of weeks ago, the guy shot a 720 pound black bear here in New England. It's insane. It's the size of a grizzly bear. Right, right. I mean, it's insane, you know? So those people are the best people, I think, and they need a voice in this.
2: Yeah, I love that. We actually have something similar to that. We call it the wall tent chronicles. Um, it's not a separate mm-hmm. entity. It's it's a It's a style, but it's kind of funny. I love it. I love how uh, similar styles, man. I, I, it's it's a lot of fun to talk uh, talk with someone that's like minded. We could it probably talk is. all night. So why don't you tell me, like, what is what does the Outdoor Drive podcast look like today? Um, you know, what is it? Tuesday, April fourth of twenty twenty three. What does it look like today? What projects are you working on? Um, and you know, what does your podcast look like today?
0: So, like I had said before, so we have the Outdoor Drive, which is our full-on podcast that comes out every Thursday. Our Tales from the Tailgate comes out on Tuesday. Um, That's just, you know, like I just said, a 30-minute cool little podcast just back and forth about, you know, hunting stories. And then um, we started our production side, um, and that is just, you know, content, social media content creation. And also our hunting videos that are on YouTube. Um, we're working to try and move that just a little bit bigger and kind of push it out. Um, maybe someday on some type of a TV platform. Um, but that all takes time and money. And, it, you know, it just goes from there, man. And we're just, we just got done with show season. We did seven shows. Um, and we just went there to just kind of push our name and our brand. And, you know, just just some recognition there. Um, and we're just kind of living it, man. And it's it's really just like you guys, just the camaraderie, just a good group of guys that get together and have beers and tell stories. We have a huge family. Um, you know, we do family events where, you know, the wives come over and spend time together and go and do things. And it's just really just, just sharing our story of what we're doing in our adventures, man. We're no different than anybody else. We're no special. We're no more special than anybody else that's doing it. We just want to share our story. Um, And if we could help somebody along the way and get them to do something out of the norm for them, that would mean the world to us, honestly. All
2: right, buddy. You have to tell me, though, because every time I have someone on here, I want to try and support you a little bit. I went on to buy some Outdoor Drive merch. What's going on? What's going on with the merch right now?
0: So, all right. So that whole thing right now is down. Um, Because when we had gone from a podcast to a video production, um, we actually just rebranded. So that's where that all falls into place. Um, We changed the logos. um, And so our merch is not out and up and running right now. Um, It will be here shortly. um, Because we did new logos and working with new companies to try and get our merch and stuff out. So that's down at this point. But it should be back up. The next
2: week or so all right dude sweet because i'm wanting we want to get something in here i want to get like a sticker on the wall or something we like to we like to show you know we got some stuff going on already but uh, how how long have you been
1: uh doing youtube um filming so hunts and we things like that.
0: started uh so i started filming my hunts in 2016 um i started filming all my hunts 2016 2017 um, but really, haven't started to turn my stuff out until about 2019 um, is my first hunt that I actually turned out. um It's it's been fun, dude. It's something that I don't leave home without is my camera. Um, a lot of turkey hunts, I've filmed a lot of turkey hunts. I do a lot of youth hunts here in the state, um, getting youth hunters out and bringing them out turkey hunting or waterfowl hunting, and then uh, my deer hunts. I film all my deer hunts, so. It's been fun. It's been it's just been a really cool thing to go back and watch a hunt. Um I killed a really nice deer in 2020 on a public piece uh actually in Ohio and I filmed it and now to go back and watch that hunt it's just real it's it's really fun. It really honestly is.
2: Do you find yourself uh picking up that camera instead of like your bow on accident sometimes?
0: So pretty funny story. So that That deer that I was just talking about in 2020, I killed in Ohio. Um, He came out of this bedding area and he was making a rub. Actually, I'm sorry. I was filming a smaller buck that I wasn't going to shoot. And I'm filming him and this, that, and the other thing. And the deer was acting really weird. And then the woods like exploded. And there was like crashing and smashing and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I look over my right shoulder and there's this just absolute giant, Making a rub and a scrape. And I'm like, I gotta get this on film. So I turn the camera to him and I start filming him. And he's just absolutely blowing the woods up, just smashing it to smithereens. And he starts to come out of this bedding area and he comes out and he's at 33 yards. And I'm like, dude, I gotta put down the camera. I gotta grab my bow. And I literally just kept filming him. And then he turns and he starts to come towards me. And then that's when I grabbed my bow and I ended up killing him at like 22 yards. Um out of the saddle, and I ended up getting the whole thing on film, but honestly, I would have rather have filmed that that animal because it was absolutely incredible to film him and get him on film, and everything that he'd done it was probably one of the first times I've ever seen some of the stuff that he had actually done um on film, so it was really cool.
1: That was one question I was gonna ask you. do you think yeah you know you've been filming your hunts for a while now um do you think anything changed with like your um style hunting or i mean maybe not that far but essentially just your your outlook on hunting trips as you started filming did anything change
0: yeah it it changes a ton man because you're always thinking going back to that raw reel you're filming your b-roll as you're doing it you don't go back and do it after so you take that time to film all that stuff as you're doing it as you're getting ready at the truck you're filming as you're walking in, you're filming, when you're in the tree stand doing interviews with yourself, you're doing that in the tree. Um, And it definitely changes you. I also then went to mobile hunting um, because I don't know how much stand hunting you guys do out there, but we hunt out of a tree all the time. Um, Very little uh, spot and stalk uh, other than like in the snow. Um, So you're in the stand. So I went mobile hunting and started saddle hunting. Um, just to bring down my gear that I had to carry in the woods, um, and, and be able to make room for my film gear. Um, and I don't go in the woods without a camera. I would rather leave my weapon at home and go in with a camera than I would, you know, then to only bring my weapon and not my camera. Um, because there's so many things that you cap capture on film that you can share with others and your experiences.
2: No, I like that. That's awesome. I think that we're trying to get to that. We're actually, we're having an opposite problem where we get like starched. We get so, like too into the hunting part of it. And uh, then we're like, oh God, oh God, we should have filmed that. Like yeah. my bull that I shot last year, Matt and I, we had an amazing, amazing experience and uh, ended up shooting the bull. And then, you know, cause I don't know, we just had like a, like a, like a brotherly moment too. Like we, it was cool to finally, you know, get that done on the season last year. And then we just sat there for a second. And we're like, wow, that would have been really cool to have filmed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're, 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 we're working on it. We're working on it.
0: It's it's one of those things that you have to. Uh-oh. That's that's where you have to find the balance, right? Where what is, what, what do you want to have on film? And what do you just want to enjoy the hunt? Because there's a lot of times where. I won't shoot something because it's not on film where some of my other guys, they, they literally will shoot something if it's not on film. Um, But I just made that decision in myself and not for anybody else to get everything on film because I like to go back and look at those films Uh, and they've helped me a lot in my hunting where when I shoot an animal I can go back and watch the film to see how I can move myself forward to be able to recover that animal properly. Um, This year I shot another deer in Ohio uh, on a public DIY hunt and I shot the deer. He was quarter and two and I went to go shoot for the shoulder and I actually was back behind the shoulder, which then would have been more of a liver gut shot instead of, you know, a lung heart shot. And if I didn't have the footage, I probably would have pushed that deer and not been able to recover that deer. Um, and then going back and looking at that footage, I knew not to push in on that animal. Um, so that's where I use it as I have to film because then I can see where my shot was, my shot placement, and then I could move in on the animal properly.
1: You know, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying because like, I've watched a lot of like the, you know, the more popular, um, hunting videos that come out on YouTube and stuff like that. And they do that all the time. Like they'll, you know, they'll draw back, um, shoot something, and be, you know, it felt good, and from my split second before I blacked out after shooting, you know, like, it, it seemed like it was good, and then they'll go back and watch mm-hmm. the video and realize, oh, shit, I was, you know, two inches high and, you know, five inches back, and it's like, oh, shit, okay, so now we know there's probably not going to be a ton of blood, and, you know, and they kind of, uh, Rearrange the style on
2: how they're going to track that animal. Yeah, and I'd say like, the only deer hunt that we even filmed a little bit of last year was Matt's daughter, and it worked perfectly in that instance because we did the yeah. same thing. We were able to look back and see exactly where the basically where the percussion, the this you know the waves hit on on the vitals to see if you know what we were chasing at that point. And so yeah, it's a good strategy. For it real. it
1: really is a smart way of doing things. Um, one question and I have for
2: don't you. Miss out
1: on it, cause
0: it- Yep.
1: Sorry about that. That was just a little bit of lag there. No, you're good. Um, the one question I had is I, I always liked asking people from different states. Um, you being from Connecticut, I've never actually talked to somebody from Connecticut that is in the outdoor hunting I world. I've talked to someone from Connecticut ever.
3: That's because you can't even say it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what is a typical season like hunting-wise? In uh, like, break it down for me. I want to know... You know, obviously, you guys got whitetail and turkey and things like that. Like coming into whenever your season starts till it ends, what does that look like for you?
0: So we actually are pretty lucky here because so our bow season starts. Well, we'll start turkey hunting here in April. That'll take us in, and then I start fishing June, July, August, and then September starts our whitetail season. Um. And our our whitetail season starts September 15th every single year. Um, You're given four tags. So I can shoot two does, two bucks. Um, And that that season goes from September 15th till December 31st. And then they add in, you know, gun season. So we have shotgun season, rifle season, muzzleloader season. Um, We can, here in Connecticut, I can shoot with all of my tags If I buy every single tag, I can shoot 15 animals, um, 15 whitetails. Also, (laughs) we have – yeah, Yeah. and then we have some management zones, which are baiting zones where we can actually bait. Um, It's unlimited does, and every third doe, you get a buck tag. So you could literally shoot as many deer as you want here if you're in the right zones or areas um and it's totally different than anywhere else i've ever hunted especially to be able to take that many animals um which then brings down the caliber of deer here um because everybody is shooting smaller deer there's not a lot of like conservation management on animals because they're like oh well i'll just shoot that that smaller deer because you know i can because i have another tag left um and the people here honestly and on the conservation aspect of it honestly they really don't care about managing the animals here um our turkey season um we just went to five turkeys uh 2 years ago and it is absolutely absurd um there's no reason to be able to shoot five turkeys here in this state every other state in the entire country the most is like two so i don't know why we have five but the management and conservation of the animals here is out the window. Is that... Um, And it's kind
1: of sad. Is that because of overpopulation that you're able to shoot that many deer and that many turkeys?
0: That's what they say. But in my opinion, it's really not. Um, We have... It's a very liberal blue state. And I think one of the thoughts and on all of it, honestly, is I think a lot of the people that are voting for a lot of this stuff, they think, uh no animals no guns um and it's kind of sad to be honest with you um it's it's kind of ridiculous so
1: in the in the past years i guess you do you guys have like hunting check stations that you like go through like you'll have wardens at things like that that you check
0: so in past years yes um about 5 years ago that went out the window and everything is all electronically done Um, so there is no more check stations. You literally go online and online, you fill out a survey and they give you a confirmation number. You put it on the bottom of your tag, you put it on your animal and you go on your way. Um, so it opens up a lot of doors for illegally tagging. Um, you can literally not, you know, not tag anything because there's no checks and balances on it.
1: Is there is there any surveys done that show like actual deer population now after that change?
0: So they still do the surveys, but it's all based on online. So it's all based on however many people went and got a confirmation number. And then that's their survey. That's done. That
2: can't be, that can't be that accurate. Well, and I, I it, see, it's really interesting coming from a state that's like completely opposite. You know, Montana is like, you know, Montana is proud of their shit in a way, I guess is the way I would, Oh, explain yeah. it right yeah so like all of our rules and mm-hmm. stuff is like our you know they're not loose they're annoying you know they're tough they're you know you're always looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're doing the right thing um even if you've read the regulations front to back it's a tough it's a tough state to be in you know and you know it's interesting to hear from someone that's uh in a state where uh you know you probably care more than your government does is what i'm getting
0: yeah it, it is so true the biologists are just like so with the turkey hunting thing the biologist was so against the fight and we can also hunt all day when we used to be able to only hunt till noon and the biologist didn't want it, but they literally voted against him. And it was kind of sickening. Um, I think that like you guys, Montana, Arizona, stuff like that, that motto that you guys fulfill every single year when it comes to your wildlife, it needs to be pushed out here because it's, it's absolutely ridiculous.
5: Well, well. As far as your whitetail go, how much do they actually weigh? Like, like on average.
0: So a good whitetail weighs dressed about one eighty. Uh, that's a good whitetail. Um, like our bucks are about one eighty is a real good whitetail.
5: What was dressed? That? What's that? What was yours? Two seventy six. Yeah, in.
1: They're the bodies are yeah. like from eastern to western um, side of the country I'm, the, I've i heard that from a lot of people that the bodies of you know whitetail obviously because that's all they have yeah. in most places on the east coast they're smaller The I mean the antlers mm-hmm. and everything like that you can go a thousand different ways depending on where you sit on the border of those but the body wise I've heard that it's it's true that they yeah, are well, just smaller
5: well I believe the whitetail I shot was like a, I got back like 128 pounds
0: of meat yeah that's <laughs> like if you can so midwest deer, you get back into that big deer stuff, and then obviously the west is big deer also, but like on the east coast, if you start to go down south, the deer are tiny, absolutely tiny, um they shoot you know a a, a deer you know full is like a hundred and fifty pounds like Georgia, Florida, stuff like yeah. that. Like they're tiny little deer.
2: Yeah, and that's um, why, because we've got a lot of friends from down south that we've had on here and some of the deer that they like, um, and I, I'm I'm a big proponent on, or, you know, a big advocate on, like, I don't like to hunt shame. I don't think it's right. I don't think that um, I'm going to sit here and say like, you shoot, you know, make say something because you shot a small animal. We don't do that. But I will say, I, I have noticed that it seems like Some of the, you know, the people that are doing the uh, posting and doing the similar stuff like we are, the deer from down south is like their trophies are like, I'm just like looking at it like I wouldn't have even probably batted an eye at that, you know, and it's like down there, it's a trophy.
0: And I think different regions have, you know, different deer, right? Where, where, Where like the northern deer to here, they won't shoot a deer unless it's live way over I mean, dressed weight over two hundred pounds. So, like, when the guys in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, those guys they don't they track deer, and if it's not over two hundred pounds dressed weight, they literally will not shoot the deer. Um, and they go by body weight. They don't go by antler size. They don't care if it's a spike horn. If it's over two hundred pounds dressed, then they're gonna shoot it. Right. Um, it's just different regions have different things. Where like here. Everything's on antler sizes. They don't care about the body of the deer. But you go four hours north of here, and they're about the size of the body, not the antler.
1: You know, that's super interesting to to hear that. Like, because I've always heard the border running north south that splits the United States as far as um, you know, deer population, everything about deer, um, sizes, things like that. But it's it's interesting to hear that there's a a east west one on the eastern coast as well that basically splits. You know, runs through and all that southern stuff. And a funny story: I had a, I had a buddy that was stationed in Texas um, in the Army at Fort Hood, and he's a Montanan. And, and you know, he had a bunch of friends that he met down there that are from Texas. And he showed them a picture of a mule deer he shot up here, you know, four years ago or something. I think it was maybe like a hundred and forty-five inch mule deer. You know, not like a giant by any means. And they thought it was the biggest thing they've ever seen in their life. Because they were showing him essentially the same way that he presented that mule deer to them. They were doing that on like a, a barely 100-inch whitetail or something, you know, like something right. like Their a three-point. And it's, they were like, that, is that an elk? Like they, like they had no idea, you know, and it's just, it's, I mean, obviously that's per, you know, two different species. But um, even with whitetail, you could do the same thing. Go down to Georgia and compare whitetail. I mean, it goes both ways.
0: I totally agree. It's like when we go out to the Midwest and we shoot deer out there and we come back home and you show guys and they're like, Oh my God, that thing's absolutely giant. But it's only a hundred and forty inch deer when on average, if you're shooting a one twenty five or bigger here, you're doing something. That's like shooting a one fifty or one sixty in the midwest.
1: Are you guys uh you guys the, the do you say eight point or four point? How do you what do you guys do for your sheds? I don't know where that line stops. Is that a southern thing? Uh,
0: No, we do four-point sheds. Okay. Four-point sheds. Yeah. That
1: must be a southern thing. I don't think thing. that's
0: what you were trying. I don't
2: think you meant to ask him on sheds. I think Like 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 when you look at a, a deer, it's a
1: four-point. It's a four-by-four.
0: Like, well, four-by-four.
5: Four or is it an eight-point? Eight oh, no. It's an eight-point. It's an eight-point.
0: <laughs> <Really? laughs> so that's just got to be an East
5: yeah. Coast thing, huh? 'Cause everything we do around here, it's yeah. like I shot like a five by four or five by five. at stuff, yeah. a ten point, you know. Yeah, we only yeah. talk
2: about one side. Yeah.
5: Four point. Four point is four and four four on each side.
2: Yeah.
0: That's uh I have a really good buddy of mine um that we breed dogs with, and he's from the Dakotas, and he's always like, Oh, look at this four by four. I'm like, bro, that's a that's a fucking eight pointer. What are you talking about? That's a fucking four like, dude, come on. It's an eight-pointer route. Dude, I go back and forth. All the I almost, about
2: it. I'm cool with calling Whitetail like the eight-point stuff because it's all in one main beam. I mean, obviously, they're not connected, but you have like, if you look at it, it's like a main beam. So, like, mm-hmm. I've actually kind of started, and I think my buddy John kind of got me this, thing, where it's lie. like, like, you might, like, I might almost refer to one as like, but I still won't. Yeah. that's <laughs> It's just like, I wonder
1: where the the term difference happened. You know, who was the guy that was on the East Coast that's like, oh, that's an eight point. And the guy on the West Coast is like, oh, that's a four by four. Well, if you you think
2: about it realistically, if you're going to look, if you're going to reference something and it has nine points on it, calling it a nine pointer is really not the wrong way to look at it. You know, six, one, half dozen, the other, I guess. If (laughs) I look at it right, like if I'm going to call a a mule deer a four point, right? Like, oh, there's a four point. If I'm looking at it, just just thinking thinking about this as we're sitting here, that is kind of dumb. Because it's got more than four points. Yeah, but I mean, you look at, but we're, like you
1: said, we're just looking at one side, you know? Right. Because I think it would be super weird for me to sit down and go, you know, if there was a four by two up on this wall, I'd be like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a six point. I'd be like, okay, that doesn't make <laughs> any logical sense to me unless I was from the East Coast thinking it's a, you know, a, a somewhat perfect three by three. Right. It's just that I don't understand that.
0: So that's where I get upset because guys will be like, oh, I shot a 12 pointer. And in my mind, that's six and six, where that should be whatever it is. Say it, you know what I'm saying? Like it should be a seven and a four. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. like that, I drives me nuts. So do people still do I'm that? I'm like, oh, dude, you shot a... Yeah, dude. They say, st- everybody, like, oh, all the time, guys will be like, oh, I shot a 12 pointer. And like it will be, you know, seven on one and four on another or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, dude, come on! Like that doesn't make any like. I, it's not the envision that I'm getting. Where if they said it like you guys said it, then it would make more sense. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, sure. I'm saying yeah, when you got like kickers and you
1: know drop times, things like that that you're adding points mm-hmm. to, it makes more sense to say it as we do because, like he just said, somebody shot a you know a 14 point buck, and you're like, that is a huge white tail. <laughs> I mean, that thing has to be the biggest white tail that has ever walked this earth. And you're like, oh no, it's you know it's a. It was a it was a nine by th-
2: whatever the math there is math. Uh, do you think do you think that guys you know like because we we talk like this right? Do you think that people that start talking and in, in, uh scoring is douchey or like do you think it's like the new way to talk about hunting?
1: Uh, it's I mean d- Trevor, do you talk about score like when you like when you're like scouting a deer? Do you like to yourself or to you know like your buddies that you're hunting with? You go like oh I just saw a deer up on that ridge. I bet you he's probably like 135 inches. Like do you do that?
0: I do do that and you know something and it kind of goes against everything that I believe in because honestly I mean when I'm talking from friend to friend like to get you know just a bearing of what that deer is that we're chasing then we'll talk like that but it's like I just said it's totally against everything that I've ever believed in because the whole deer shaming thing or talking down on somebody like I shot I shot a one a 166 but I don't go around and go, oh, my 166. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just – it does make you sound douchey, and it shouldn't be about the score of the deer um, mm-hmm. because oh, man, somebody so. who's listening but to you know, – do well, no, no. So no, 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 no
2: but, you're, <laughs> but you're right, man. Like, think about this. Like It's such a good way to explain what you're trying to look at. Like, if I explain to Sean, who is a good hunter and is around it and stuff, if I'm like, hey, I saw this deer – You know, if I explain to you it is, I saw a four point and it was decent, you know, but I could be like, Hey, I saw four, I saw this deer and it was probably like a, I don't know, like a 145 inch mule deer. Like you get a better like idea, I feel like of what I actually saw.
1: Yeah. Well, it's true. And it's like, like Trevor said, you do it with your friends. And sometimes like I'll find that like with, uh, we have some, um, people that are, you know supporters of ours and things like that that aren't totally uh down with the terminology within hunting and so i'll be talking to them and they're friends of ours right and i'll be talking to them and or say ramsey and i are with them and we're having a conversation and we're talking about like we like last weekend you know we were archery hunting for elk and we saw like a i mean 185 inch mule deer like 400 yards away up on a on a hillside and to them they're probably like what the hell does that even mean? You know, is that like, is that big? But it's, it's,
3: I I don't know if it's the cool thing
2: to do. There's certain scenarios for each type. I do feel like it's trendy. Like, I don't remember. Do you remember
5: like five, 10 years ago, people referencing stuff like that? Maybe. No, no. Like with our clients, a, a, a lot of our guys, I mean, we've shot some 180, 200 inch deer off the property over the years, but, you know, 130 or 150-inch deer, people, you know, when they say 180-inch deer, most people don't know what a 180-inch deer looks like. Now. I mean, They no think lot they of do. do. You know, they do when it's 150. But we've shot some monster bucks that, you know, at the end of the day that would make Boone and Crockett, where the guys don't give a shit about the Boone and Crockett or the score, it's going to look good on their wall. Yeah.
2: yeah, I just feel like it's a trendy thing, kind of. But, it like, I've, I've, I've succumbed to it. I have to. I've I've
1: done it. I would say the last at least three to four years. That it's like you know it. I don't know why you do it, but like you said, it definitely gets my hype up a lot more when I'm hunting with you. And you go, I just saw a three hundred and twenty inch or three hundred and fifty inch bull coming down this hillside i'm gonna be like holy shit all right let's go if he goes i just saw a six point i don't know how big that six point is it could be it could could be be 250 yeah it could be a 260 inch six point but when you say something like that i'm like okay like that you know that's the animal i want to pursue it's i think it helps that situation but you also you got to understand what the scoring means and i feel like a lot of people might use that term and not truly know what the scoring is i don't know if you see that on the east coast at all
0: so one of the things that I do a lot of the times, and it's just, I guess it's more of the humble side of it, is literally like if I'm having a conversation with somebody and we're talking deer, say we're at a show and we're talking deer and they're trying to tell their deer story because I love to hear deer stories. I don't care what it is, if it was a spotted fawn or a 200 incher, it doesn't matter to me. But what I do is I don't talk about anything that I've shot until I've seen a picture Or they've told me about the deer, right? Because if you go into a conversation with somebody and you just come charging out with your pictures or your stories or whatever, you don't know the person that you're talking to. So like that guy could probably shoot bigger deer than me. And if I come out bull rushing, saying that I shot a 140 and he's shooting 160s or 180s, (laughs) you know, you're going to look like an idiot. And you're also going to look like an idiot if you come out showing that you shot 130s, and 140s, and they're only shooting 110s and 120s. So, like, I try to feel out the situation before you go into the situation. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to be that guy. So I um, think in shaming that person.
1: So I think the group consensus here is, is there's a certain group niche of people that we can use those terms to. And it, it's 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 fine. It,
3: certain situations.
1: Certain situation, <laughs> certain situations yeah. and a certain group of people.
2: Dude, it makes I, sense. T- I tell you what, m- one of my favorite things, and I think I got this from like when I started guiding, is like I love talking to eastern and like southeastern, northeastern people like we are with you right now. Because you guys are so hard up for white tail and turkeys. Like it's just like, you guys love it, man. It's like you're, like, you just, you could hunt deer every day, all day for the rest of your life. And whitetail, of course. And uh, I love hearing about it, dude. Because, like, I, not that, like, I mean, of course, we have our passions here. But, like, just the, the turkey and the deer hunters, man, of the east are, like, the, the backbone of, of the outdoors, I feel like. no, yep. for sure.
0: I would rather hunt turkeys than anything. I could care less about deer. I just do deer to get me through the fall. Turkey hunting by far is my favorite thing to do. I can care less about anything else, honestly. I believe turkey it, hunting by far. What kind of what, kind of what kind of
1: turkeys you guys shooting up there? Eastern, I don't know. Is it the Easterns only We, shoot,
0: we shoot Easterns. Eastern. Are those bigger Any than Merriam's?
2: No, no. Merriam's are the <laughs> have are the
0: biggest ones.
5: I got a question for you. Have you done your Grand Slam yet?
0: No, I haven't done my Slam. No, no, I have not. I I was going to go shoot a Rio this year, but I'm not going sadly Uh, i was supposed to be in kansas actually coming up i was actually actually i was supposed to be in florida osceola guiding um and i had to turn it down because we had too many shows and i was gonna have to miss three shows and i couldn't do that so
1: you know that's another thing that's that's a term difference because i've heard it from other people that it's not called a grand slam over like they call it is that exactly what you guys call it or is there some other term you guys use
0: no, Grand Slam is it? Yeah. yeah, I
1: can't remember where Grand Slam. I was watching a video that somebody said it was. I it was somebody down in Florida shooting or hunting Osceola.
2: They were doing. It was
5: they called it something. Well, when you get ready I, to do your Grand Slam, you let us know because we'll take you to uh, to get your Miriam anyway. Yeah, Miriam is easy. easy. <laughs> Deal,
0: because that's the that's the only one I don't think I could go and kill. I don't have anybody out there to go kill a Miriam yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dude, you know, I've heard uh, from a lot of people too though, that most of them their last one. To actually finish off their Grand Slam is the Osceola, is
2: what I've heard. It, well, I'm, I'm sure it's depending on what It's you're the
0: living. hardest one. It's the hardest one uh, because it's such a small, little, tiny group of, of an area, and it's also super expensive. Uh, that hunt is like $3,500 for a three-day hunt. So
5: they kind of save it for the last one. Right. Y- y- yeah, the grad slam, if you do it right, you're looking at about $20,000 to do it, to do mm-hmm. everything.
1: Maybe, you know, plus, and or, super plus or minus about whatever area you're in that you have land on, mm-hmm. you know, to kill that yeah. one species. But still, I mean, take... A typical let's take an average on that two thousand dollars off of that for a turkey hunt. I mean, still that's I'm
2: just happy that we're blessed with the dumbest of this turkey species because (laughs) it's so much fun to call them because they will come into anything. That's true. (laughs) You
0: don't even have to be good at it. The mountain eastern the eastern mountains are probably one of the hardest turkeys as far as strategy wise to kill. And I think it's two, they're so overhunted here. And I mean They're just sometimes a pain in the ass. Honestly, to kill, kill an Eastern is, is sometimes very tough.
2: I've heard that. I've heard that over and over again, that like Eastern's like, you got to work them hard. You got to like, your calling has to be on point. And, um, so let me, let me ask you about, what is your opinion on decoy work and fanning as a, as a hardcore turkey guy? So I, all
0: right, I will, am I'm against it, but I'm for it. Right. In the right situations. Um, so I did it for the first time last year. Uh, I did it with a bow and a bow only hunting area. And it was almost unfair. Honestly, 100% unfair. Um, and the only reason I did it was because it was in a bow only area. If I was to do it, I would never do it in a gun hunting area. Never would I ever. Yeah. No, no way.
2: Yeah, I, I know here. that's like There's a big... It's like a big topic like because, like, to be honest with you, we're not, like, hardcore turkey hunters. Like, we're, we're elk hunters and we're, we're mule deer hunters. That's kind of our main thing. And so, like, it's kind of like a sub thing that we do. And to get more, like, we've gotten more involved in it in the last couple of years where it's, like, um, we like it because in the springtime, it's, like, mini elk hunting. You know what I mean? You're doing the same mm-hmm. thing. You're calling them in. It's like little they're little mini elk. So it keeps us uh covered till keeps till us elk. at bay. It keeps us our, our hunting hearts hell, happy until you know you get through a little bit of fishing and then it's back to uh archery in in September. But um I keep seeing that the more and more we get involved in turkey hunting, you you hear there's so many like um really hardcore opinions on ways to do turkey hunting whether there's even like you know i've heard some really high opinions on like just ways of turkey calling like doing do's and don'ts and roosting and stuff like that it's it's crazy to me it's like it's a whole whole other like like turkey hunting is like its own entity almost yeah
1: and that's definitely another thing that like the country is split by because like we've talked to a lot of guys down from the like down south that are like alan is a huge turkey hunter he loves it and it's it You know, maybe it's because of uh, difference in number on species that you can hunt in that area and things like that, but uh, those guys are just like to the bone turkey hunters, man. It's cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love talking to guys like you, Trevor. It's fun. fun to hear different, different, uh, different, it's just a different way of life than we live up here. Yeah, for sure.
0: And we have, we have the true mini turkey, uh, the true mini elk here in the East Coast also.
1: Yeah, right. Do they, how do they taste? I'm no, going to no, be no. honest.
2: What's that? The Sika? No, the the Easterns. How do they taste? You guys shoot those off islands? Those uh, Sika- uh, the Sika?
0: Yeah. In Eastern Shore, Maryland. And it is one of the hardest hunts you'll ever hunt in your entire life. It's insane. Um, but you, can't you hunt them during their ride and stuff? And they and You... The... It's 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 surreal, honestly. Um, I I don't know. I've never hunted out west for real elk, but I'll tell you, the bugling and the mewing is absolutely incredible. Um, you're in the swamp marsh, like we wear waders to get out to these like big pine groves that have been flooded by the eastern shore, because you're at and and it's this is going to be crazy to you guys. Um, you literally are at one foot of elevation hunting them, and it's underwater. And it is absolutely insane. Um, They're bugling. It's if you took a full-size elk and put an elastic band around, it's nuts. And that's what (laughs) they sound like. It's like this high-pitched mouse bugle. Um, And it's just nuts. Um, And when they come out, they're like a big stag is like 100 pounds. They're tiny, tiny, tiny. And um I I missed one this year at 18 yards. And it was literally and I've I've called in probably five or six and literally couldn't get in a shot at them because they're in this like swamp grass and you can't even see them and you can't even get a shot at them. It's nuts. They're they're just insane. They're such cool animals and they taste phenomenal.
2: Wow. I don't remember why well, did a Meteor do something like that? Did they do a hunt? On, yes, I've, seen, I've, seen, did, I've yeah. seen one of those before, and I always thought, I was like, man, that mm-hmm. would be that be uh I think shooting them out of a tree would be really interesting. Mm. If you can get up. It's and, super hard.
1: I don't know if this is going to be weird to you or not, but I have never hunted out of a tree stand before. <laughs> I've
0: never either.
1: I've never done it.
0: You hear stories of guys going out west and hunting over wallows and stuff, but that's not like the conventional way of hunting out there, right?
2: No. 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 I now I the only tree stand hunting I've ever done is because of Matt. Um, they have some stands for uh white tail. And another thing that Sean, you know, he just brought up that that you might find interesting about the 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 tree stands. Uh, also I believe have you shot a white tail before, Sean? No. So three of us at this table have never even shot a white tail. So Yeah. That's how different we are.
0: (laughs) You guys don't just you guys just don't target them, but they're there.
2: Yeah. Well, actually there's uh I don't even know if I want to say it. There is some really good whitetail in Montana. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but it's mostly private land along the rivers and stuff. Like Matt shot a really, uh, a really nice. I mean, what was yours like, one fifty eight or something like that, or 15- one sixty three, one sixty three? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was awesome. Those and uh, we see quite a bit. Why do you think that is, though? Like his question, or
1: I guess his saying that we don't target him. Why do you think that is? Is because it it we wait. have mule deer, dude, and yeah. then we have way more mule deer than we have whitetail. That's true. I mean, because typically, like. When you're hunting mule deer in Montana, depending on what side of the state you're on, it's still the same scenario. Even like in our in in you know our side of the state, Bull Mountains aren't necessarily these tall, elevated peaks that we're hunting, but yet it's still you know elevation change and trees. And then you can go to the west coast and you get into the true like mountain mule deer, and so. When you look at whitetail, they're only down in these flats in the in the bear willows and on the, the river rivers bed. and things like that. So like, well, typically you're not that's not
2: necessarily okay. Maybe you, maybe you guys hunt mountains where there's
5: whitetail. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, but they're all still
1: they're way way low. I mean, I almost. Think the, the I think
5: the biggest reason why why we hunt mule deer more than whitetail is because we're going out for the day. Whitetail, your morning and evening hunt, you know, and mule deer, you can shoot at ten eleven o'clock in the morning yeah yeah you know
2: and i think your ease like ease of access for opportunity for mule deer is is so much higher like m- there's so, there's so much mule deer on public land that, it, and they're easier to hunt in my opinion i think tail are smarter for sure oh yeah i think <laughs> right. like a mule deer like you can walk into a mule deer at like 80 yards sometimes and they just look at you like
1: trevor we always talk about this too like ty- like typical um you know cognitive response from a mule deer is if if you're stalking one and you get too close or they wind you or something they may bust out of there looks like they're going to be gone and they'll stop 40 yards from where they were and turn around and give you the over the shoulder mule deer look and you're like yep boom there you go you know versus like a whitetail I've been on a couple whitetail hunts and it's like if you if they catch wind or if they you know sense something's wrong White and flag, that doe's maybe. no that doe's nose comes up that thing is they're they're gone. It's almost like elk in that scenario where they, you know, they're just, they could be in the next County, you know, it's, it's definitely true. About and that's
0: them. one thing with white tail hunting, like strategically hunting whitetails and you target like, like us here, um, when you're trophy hunting, you're targeting that one whitetail. And if you go into that spot and that wind's not right, and you you may not see them because it's in thick hardwoods or mountain Laurel or whatever, and you might not be able to see that whitetail. But if you bust that white tail out there, you may never see him for the rest of the season. Like he'll literally be in the next county and your neighbor's going to end up shooting that deer that you've been targeting all season because you made a false a bad move and that thing's completely gone.
1: And I would almost say th- totally that that would be like the op- almost the opposite of like mule deer hunting cuz you could jump a you know the target buck you've been looking for all season that you've had on camera and things like that and then he could be in there the next day. Yeah. I think
2: it all depends on maturity of the mule deer too. Like a lot of uh, a lot of big bucks that I've seen that I've bumped in like accident, cause, but I also have a different strategy about when I like go after deer, like mule deer, I'm not going to really go for a hard bump. You know, if I, if I'm, I'm not going to get on in on them, unless I think that, um, like we can make a move on them. Right. Like I, I'm a big, um, try not to bump stuff out of the country. shit, And it goes with elk too. We, we do that a lot where it's like, if, if we don't think we can make a legitimate move, um, we're going to, we'll, we're going to we'll pull back out. out and call it a day. Yeah. We'll pull out every time. And so, um, but I think, I think for like a lot of, there's some mature mule deer, I think that if you bump them out of their bed, I th- the think the thing that I heard is like, once you bump a, a mature mule deer out of their bed twice, they'll never come back to it again. It could be true. I mean, like Ramsey always says to mule deer, and he says this
1: about elk and just hunting in general, but more than likely you hear him say it of several times a season that mule deer turn into burrowing creatures Yeah, because <laughs> you can, I mean, legitimately you could find them and then think, figure out a stock, how you want to get in on them, and then you get to where you think they're, you'd be
3: able to see them, and you have no idea where they are. I mean, look at the deer I shot this year. We had eight cameras out yeah, for, I don't even know, months and months and months. Never saw him once on camera. Just happened to go back in a coolie that we don't normally go to, and there he is.
1: It's funny because the same thing about the big deer that we had on camera that you and I were like going to target. We never saw him. Truly saw
3: him in person. Me and Riley saw him once, but I mean that was as close as
0: we got. Was what hundred?
2: Yeah. What's your what's the trail cam laws over in Connecticut?
0: You can use them we use them all the time. I mean, I probably run 25
2: cameras in a season. Oh yeah. Yeah, we uh it used to be that you could only use cameras here before and after season. You couldn't have one during season, and now you can. You can have them, but you have to only be you can only you, can't you, have, the cellular you have to during yeah, you have to go like personally check the SD cards every time. versus cellular. But it's nicer. I mean, it's it helps strategy for for hunting. Can you guys run cellular the entire season?
0: Yeah, we can run cell. And I, I, my whole belief and thought on that is I was grow, I grew up in a generation where you had to be actual woodsman because they didn't have cell cameras. We would use trail timers and all this other stuff. So I have those woodsman skills. And there's been seasons where I don't even hunt with a camera um, just to kind of bring it back. And I think that now the newer generation of hunters are relying on those cameras and they don't have the woodsmanship. And honestly, in my opinion, I wouldn't be against them being gone, to be honest. I really wouldn't. Because you get so attached to to that one animal and that's that's your animal or your buck. You know what I'm saying? And like you grow that relationship with that deer and it kinda of gets ridiculous, in my opinion.
2: No, I agree. I see a lot of points and and see I I'm at a place where there's so much so much area that um, a couple different places that are so much area that you're not going to more, more than likely, you're not going to see the same animals, you know, in two weeks that you right. saw two weeks ago. Um, I've seen it as a, as a tool. Um, but I also get what you're saying, man. There was, uh, if you're depending on the, your, an, your deer comes through every day, every Wednesday at nine o'clock, right? Um, some people are just hunting Wednesdays at nine o'clock now. And I think that does take away a little bit from, um, from the whole outdoor aspect of it. But even, you know, my bull that I shot this year, we didn't even have a camera over there um, that we, I've never seen him on camera. Um, So, you know, it's, I think it's like, it's, I think for us as the way we use it, it's just more fun for content than anything.
1: (laughs) Well, and you know, I think too, like take a, positive from like the style of how we use cameras in montana where you're not allowed to use cellular so you don't have you know during season so you don't know uh, that that deer that you've had pictures of since you know july is you know in there in your spot the positive you can take from it is it almost builds like a um your toolbox as an outdoorsman because you could go out there and put a camera in a spot that you think looks good and go out there and check the SD card two weeks later and have nothing on it. And then that can kind of like boost your, um, your outdoor toolbox to be able to better yourself as a whatever target species you're trying to get
2: pictures of, knowing that they're not in that environment. And I would say that's probably really more singular to us because there's so much land in Montana that probably yeah. doesn't really affect you, Trevor, because you guys don't really have the vast landscape.
5: Uh, Where you're hunting at, Trevor, like, like how many acres on average are you hunting at a time?
0: (laughs) Some of my best properties are under 10 acres. Wow. That's
1: crazy. What would be like a large, um, a large section to hunt?
0: Um, I mean, some of the public lands are probably like a big public land for me to hunt here in the state. There's probably
4: 3,000. Wow.
1: Okay. That is actually shocking. That's I mean, crazy. seriously, like I, I I had no idea about any of this stuff. oh
0: Yeah, that's,
2: that's why they have a lot of, uh, like a lot of Eastern states have um, like shotgun only, bow only because of- yeah. Muzzle loaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We're,
5: we're mm-hmm. like the ranch we're yeah. hunting, I mean, it's like 31 miles long by 19 miles wide in one chunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, our trail cams, even if we check them- you know, we'll go to the water holes and stuff, and set our cameras up in different holes that we we found. But I mean, you, you can be five miles from from that camera where you actually bust a bull or the the deer you've been looking for. Yeah,
0: that's I guess back yeah, to what we're I was waiting. Saying. Go ahead. No, no, we're just waiting for that one deer to come through that certain area, and you're looking for those pinch points along a river or whatever that you that piece of land, and you're waiting for that buck. He might be bedded, you know, you know, a thousand yards away from it, and you're waiting for him to come through that corridor at a certain time, chasing does in a bedding area or something like that. And it's a small parcel. I mean, I've killed some of my biggest deer on five acres. I mean, it's just the way that we hunt here. It's totally different.
2: So let me ask you this question because I was never, I never knew about this till it was introduced to me by uh, um, someone from. I think they're from Illinois this year. Uh, some guys that we had down and they said that there's some white tail hunting that they do in a, in a certain season where they can hunt in the city. Do you guys have
0: something like that
2: where there's like city property? So,
0: so when I was talking about the baiting only area with unlimited, that's an, that's an urban hunting. Um, and it's literally, you're hunting half acre acre pieces, um, over bait piles. And that's, yeah, that's urban hunting. I've heard that and some of the best to, hunting
2: they ever had was on some
0: of those places. Well, you look at like Seek One, those guys kill absolute giants in Atlanta, Georgia, and they're in on an acre piece of land and they're shooting two-inch, 200 inch deer in the city.
2: Yeah, that's so crazy. I, you know, oddly enough, and I don't know if you'd ever even imagine that we had that. We actually had an urban hunt in Montana that they were doing. It was a city about 60 miles down the road. And, uh, it was for mule deer, uh, what would you call it? Like a, it was overpopulated. Like, yeah, like an overpopulation thing and management hunt. hunt. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was interesting. I did that a couple of years ago and, uh, it wasn't bad. I mean, uh, there was one point where, uh, we had set up our blind cause that was the only way we thought we could really get on any of the deer is just to be, cause it was way past rut and it was in the winter, essentially uh, deep winter. And I remember we were sitting there in the blind and, uh, some lady who's walking her dog 10 yards right by and just starts to walk by with her dog. And, and I was like, eh, I might, might not do this that's again. That's a weird feeling. For sure.
0: <laughs> and that's, and that's one of the things, I mean, I've hunted on a swing set before here in the urban hunting, or <laughs> you have the tree stand that's, uh, like right in the lady's backyard and she's cooking, you know, barbecue on the back porch and there's whitetails at the bait pile and you're shooting whitetails. And watching jerry springer on her big screen i mean like that's normal here in some of these areas
2: i love it man i mean it really connects um the, you know the outdoors as a whole is just so many different realms of possibility and i, I love it i love hearing about uh what you guys are going over there and uh um that's kind of what brings our community together it's like everyone doing their outdoor adventures and and doing the most important thing and that's getting out enjoying the outdoors, whether you do it by yourself or with your friends or family, enjoying those memories. And, uh, I think it's awesome, man. I think, I think it's really cool.
0: Absolutely.
2: So we're getting, uh, are you still good on time? Do we got to get, get going here? Or you talk a little bit more? Or?
0: <coughs> yeah, I got a couple more minutes
2: for sure. Okay. So we're just going to end this. We always do this when we have some sort of either in studio or, uh, on zoom call interview, uh, where we just kind of go around the table here and we're just gonna ask you questions. We might even ask you what your favorite ice cream flavor is. You know what I'm saying? But we oh, like to okay. just we just like to we like to just throw out some random questions and just kind of get to know you as a person. Uh, it's just kind of fun. It's fun for us and just to to know some cool things. And uh, it take five minutes, might take a half an hour, uh, but that's kind of how we're gonna end things here. Sound good to you? Absolutely. So who wants to start us off?
3: Oh, I I gotta know because you're a, you're an archery guy. What's your brand?
0: Um, actually, I shot for Elite for a ton of years, and I actually just went back to Obsession.
3: Okay, okay. I was hoping it was going to be Hoyt or Matthews, and you could settle it, but
0: it's...
2: no, <laughs> How many we've got? No. We've got two Hoyts <laughs> no. in, or no? What are you? He's, bear. Bear. he's a oh, bear. Oh yeah, he's a bear guy. We got two Matthews, uh, a Hoyt, and a, and a bear guy in here, and the Matthews versus Hoyt discussion comes up quite a bit.
0: I'll never shoot a Hoyt if that answers the question. Let's
4: go!
1: go. They're
3: the only ones that make a bow long enough for me. (laughs) You
1: know, this is actually kind of a, that that story about Ramsey buying that bow, that was really funny. I mean, he was, he was seriously, he seriously went into that thinking, I might buy a Matthews. That's bullshit. He went in there into the back room of the bow shop and drew that Matthews once and put it down and then grabbed the hoyt and he sat there and shot that thing 25 times and we're like you made your decision before you even walked in there you liar I, like, <laughs> I am who I am okay yeah all awesome. right who's next who's next
2: <laughs> me yeah um oh god i wasn't ready i thought we were going to go <laughs>
1: wait i got one for you you've been in your truck this whole time uh what uh uh what brand of truck is your favorite
0: toyota I'm a Toyota guy. Oh, that's a safe answer. A I like safe, that. That
2: is a safe. Because you know that all of the, everyone was on edge to jump on you if you were a Ford Chevy or Dodge guy. Yeah.
0: So so we have a saying is if you pull up to a piece of public and a dude's driving a Ford, you know that you can go in there and hunt because he's not going to kill anything. Oh, but no. if, you see a Toyota, <laughs> wow. if you see a Toyota, you don't go anywhere near that public because that dude is a killer. Hands down. <laughs> I'm two strikes
3: here god damn
5: yeah that's, <laughs> that's awesome i love so, that so what? i got a question for you you've been driving for what an hour and a half now how far is your studio from your
0: house uh studio from my house is an hour Holy how many miles god. wow uh i don't it's probably uh, 45 miles probably
5: It's see a little further than you have to go yeah
0: <laughs> well, 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 the crazy thing
5: is is a, a lot of our clients that come up and, and they're like, uh, how far is it from Billings to hard? And you're like, I don't know, an hour. Well, how many miles? Like 65 to the ranch. And, you know, 65 miles back east can take you three or four hours. So mm-hmm. so so that's kind of an ironic thing because, like, we don't do nothing by mileage up here. It's always by the hour. Like, yeah, how yeah, far has yeah. Bozeman? Two hours. Yeah. You know. Two yeah.
1: Hours. <laughs> I've never been to Connecticut, so I, or anywhere the farthest east I think I've ever been is John. Could you point out Connecticut on a map? Uh, yes, I think I could. It's somewhere <laughs> in the upper right. I think I could do it. It's small. It is very small. Um, I had a buddy that went to small. Yale, so I know. Uh, actually, can't even remember what the town Yale or what town is Yale in. New Haven. Yeah, that's right. That's the name of it. I knew that at one point in my
0: life. Pretty. I'm pretty. Yeah, it's about. 55 minutes from me from door to door.
1: So that's about what, like a hundred or
2: maybe 12 miles.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep, Just about that. Okay. <laughs>
2: all right. All right. All right. Uh, unless it's like grandma Cheryl's secret recipe right now, what's the best way to eat Turkey?
0: Oh, I honestly, I love the way I, I cook it. I take it and I put it in a, uh, just a, like an oven pan and i put um lipton um the uh onion dip on it and cream and mushroom and i bake it and it's absolutely phenomenal
2: (laughs) i love it that's like so similar to one of our elk recipes dude (laughs) yeah i
0: love it it. It matt
2: cooks everything (laughs) with french onion soup mix dude and it makes everything so good (laughs) that's good to know (laughs) all right rams what you got more no you're out.
1: You're tapped out already. All right, I got one. I got one. Uh, so you, I, I know you. Are you more? I got this. Is a little two parter. Are you more of a archery hunter or a rifle hunter? Oh,
0: archery through and through. No questions asked. Okay, same so here, then
1: brother. The second part of my question would be, when you are doing your rifle hunting, what rifle are you using?
0: So it's kind of crazy. So going back on what you guys were saying it, with like urban hunting and stuff. There's really I don't really have any rifle properties here, like because we're so urban or suburb that I don't even hunt with a rifle. Most of my most of my hunting is done with a CVA um, muzzleloader Um, because you're not and this is going to be crazy to you guys, but I don't think I've shot a deer over 80 yards in my entire life.
2: Wow. I don't think I've shot a deer under 80. <laughs> I don't think I've shot a deer <laughs> under 80. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We have. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome, dude. I think it's cool. I uh we're big bow hunters here, so we we, we respect the grind for sure. I would rather pick up my bow than a rifle. Oh, me too. Sure. It's so much more fun. Yeah. And it it's it it comes in, in tact with your like primal instincts, you know, as a bow hunter. Like it, it gets primal. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Matt, you got any more? No, sir. Oh my gosh, these guys are weak tonight. Um, let me think here. I had one, and I lost it.
1: Really, <laughs> that's never happened before.
2: It was a fishing question. Are, are you are you a are you a big are you are you like a classic eastern bass guy? Or are you more of an ocean guy?
0: No, so I'm strictly saltwater fishing now. I I don't think the last time that I freshwater fished. I couldn't even think of it to be honest with you. So I'm a bass fisherman, but a saltwater bass fisherman. Uh, I do light tackle, um, light tackle charters. So we do a lot of topwater fishing for big, big striped bass. I'm known for sh- trophy striped bass. Uh, people come from all over just to catch their trophy striped bass here.
2: I was gonna ask you because I feel like you're in that. Are you not in that region where the the striped bass do the runs? That you try to hit every year, they come in big groups. I've
0: seen them somewhere, and
2: um, yeah,
0: it's insane here. The striped bass fishing is incredible. Um, We we hit. We start about right about now is when we start fishing in the rivers. Um, The smaller fish they start to fall out of the rivers about June. We start to fish in the Sound, and then July and August is when we see the cows, what we call the cows, and that's your. 50 pounders your 40 and 50 pound striped bass is right around july and august um and that's eastern here that's what we're known for
2: that's awesome man i've always i've always watched actually i think where i really watched is guys were doing top water flies for striped bass out of a boat Mm -hmm. um and that's just i'm a big fly fisherman so that that really uh (laughs) that really excites me to do something like that someday but um i think that uh We've got about an hour and a half here, man. I think we've had we've had a great time. It was really cool to get to know you um, and talk to another fellow, you know, podcaster. It's been really, really good time. Was a man. ton of fun.
0: Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was an absolute blessing. Couldn't thank you guys enough. Uh, we'd love to re- reciprocate and have you boys on the the outdoor drive. I think it would be no, kind of yeah, fun. Awesome.
2: Hey, you yeah. name the day. You name. You give me a time and place, and we'll all be there. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you got anything yeah, to plug today? Instagram, Facebook.
0: I mean, if you if you search the Outdoor Drive, you'll find us on all social media platforms. You can go to theoutdoordrive.com. dot com. Uh, Hopefully, have our merchandise up there sooner than later. But, um, like I said, man, I really appreciate you guys having us on, dude, and look forward to doing something with you guys in the future.
2: Awesome, man. Let's stay let's stay in touch. I I like to be uh, a big motto of ours is like uh, you know we like to make friends instead of just acquaintances. You know what I'm saying?
5: Definitely, and we damn sure like to have you back next year to uh, come get your Miriam. Yeah, yeah, come do some turkey hunting down here.
0: Yeah. yeah, and vice versa. You boys, if you guys ever want to come up striper fishing on the East Coast or kill an Eastern or whatever. That sounds like you guys a good always got a place
2: here. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a great yeah. trip. Definitely. Um, we're gonna end things here. Um, Trevor, stay on. We're gonna talk to you a little bit when we close here. Um, everything that we're gonna need to talk about that we normally talk about at the end, we'll we'll talk about in the intro. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're gonna end this right here. Uh, as always, we'll catch you on the next one.
5: See you. See ya.
3: Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bull Mountain Brothers.
1: Hey, if you're looking for more Bull Mountain Brothers, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Bull underscore Mountain underscore Brothers, and Facebook and YouTube at Bull Mountain
5: Brothers. Also, don't forget to check out our BNB store at bullmountainbrothers.com where you can find some super sweet deals on some seasonal merchandise and outdoor gear.